Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a More Than Just Podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 6, Episode 16. My name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. And we have Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's, How's it going? going? Oh, damn. <laughs> I think you had it right. Oh. I, I said it at the same time as him. Didn't you hear it? <laughs> yeah. It felt like I just missed the window. I can fix it in post. Don't oh, forget, it. right? So <laughs> that's a fact. Follow up from last week's uh, show. In case you were go back and listen to that one, you'll understand what we're doing. All righty. Anyway, speaking of fact check, um, the painting which Jonathan asked me about last week, I did kind of sort of reckon it was really badly out of focus. I I, I did a a screen capture of it, and then I took it over to Google and and did an image search on it, and it turns out like it. I don't know what they did for lighting or whatever, but it looks nothing like the actual painting in, in real life. It would look really dark and muddy in, in the show. But the painting is called The Concert by an Open Window by uh, Vermeer. Uh, and uh, it's also known as The Concert. But uh, Johannes Vermeer is, uh, you know, he's known for his light and dark and mm. stuff. He's the guy with the girl with the pearl earring. And, you know, he also had like a, somebody pouring water beside a window in the kitchen, kind of, you know, lit by the sunlight kind of deal. That was his, his shtick. So, and but, that was the uh, one that we yeah. saw in the, it was, at the it was in the back of the antique shop in last week's Strange New Worlds, right? Yeah, it's that, that Pelia, yeah, that Pelia was apparently had stolen from the Louvre. Now, it's funny because now that, because I added this to IMDb and we'll see if they accept my submission because... I noticed in my submissions on IMDb that I put two um, submissions in for the Wonder Woman movie. Remember the one with, um, oh, what's her name from Saturday Night Live? Uh, Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig. Yeah. Yeah. That one, I put in two um, submissions and they rejected them both. Like, well, well like, it, this is true. I, you know, saw this thing and I put this, you know, fact together. I mean, they accepted all the facts we put in about Spotcast and about ourselves and more than just code that I put in there, but they wouldn't accept uh, the one for Wonder Woman. It's weird, eh? That's oh, yeah. weird. Yeah, so for this one, I said, hey, I did a Google image search. We'll see if they buy that or not, you know, besides the fact that I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree, right? <laughs> <laughs> small, small, you know, small thing. But details, uh, anyway, speaking details. of fact check, let's jump into fact check. So we got, John's got some fact check, and I've got some questionable fact check for him. But I did find it the answer, but you know, I'm, I'm just curious about it. So okay. Hit us with your fact check. Well, so uh, I think this is going to be a tag team fact check because Jaime, I think, has some fact check on the fact check. Ooh, all three of us. Yeah. Yes. So we, last week I was talking about the uh, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, also known as the Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, and how that was only available on Disney Plus in the United States, not in other markets. And it was also now available on the iTunes store here in Canada, but for some reason seemed to be missing episode. And so mm -hmm. I looked it up, and the title of the episode that seems to be missing from the iTunes version is uh, The Mystery of the Blues, which I remember that episode very distinctly because it was Harrison Ford's only 
full appearance on the show because uh, the show was originally on ABC in North America, and uh, he was the sort of beginning and ending. It was bookmarked by uh, Indiana Jones with this great big bushy white beard, and I remember, remember thinking how unusual it was to see Indiana Jones with a big white beard, but uh, yeah, mm. so that was the one I was missing, and I think from there, Jaime has taken this and run with it, because well, he's, he's so, our tester. Hang on, before he jumps in there, so I, I went on the IMDb while, because when I was doing the editing last week, I thought, oh, I'll, make, I'll just go over there and check, and turns out there are two, if you if you put Indiana Jones into IMDb, it shows all the movies, and and these two two TV shows, one called, as Jonathan said a minute ago, The Chronicles of Young Indiana Jones, and also The Adventures of Indiana Jones, of Young Indiana Jones, which is like, what? But then I looked at the stars and whatever, it's the same people. So it's obviously the same show, just under, released under different names. However, under Chronicles, it lists 28 episodes and three seasons. And then under Adventures, it, rec- it references 22 episodes. So there's another weirdness. Okay, I can explain right. that part. Okay, we'll, we'll let, let's get to Jaime's, and then you can come back and explain this part here. All right. Okay. Yeah, so this is going through the um, American Disney Plus, so your kilometerage may vary. Uh, if you go into Disney Plus, you see the Indiana Jones collection. And for us, or at least for me, I've not asked any other Americans to confirm that there's not a weird A-B test here. <laughs> so... Uh, it will show up as the adventures of young Indiana Jones, not the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, the adventures of young Indiana okay. Jones. And yep. it shows up as one season with 22 episodes. And I'll, I'll come back to that. So um, I can uh, and, and watch like 30 seconds of uh, mystery of the blues. The one where Harrison Ford uh, shows up. That is season one, episode 20, as far as I can see in Disney plus, but it gets really sort of confusing because, you know, for me, episode one says, My First Adventure is the title. And episode 22, the final episode in this supposed one season, is Hollywood, <clears throat> excuse me, Hollywood Follies. Now, if you go to Wikipedia and look things up, you will see that it's under the entry of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Um, it says, you know, number of seasons is two, 28 episodes plus four TV films. And then when I dig into the list of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles episodes, because I said, wait a minute, one season with six episodes, another season, 22 episodes, and then a TV films season with four episodes. And I'm just going to read this paragraph at the top. And of course, we have the link in the show notes for those of you transporting home. 28 episodes were produced by Lucasfilm in association with Amblin and Paramount Pictures, though four were unaired during the series' original 1992 to 93 run on ABC. In 1996, some of the remaining episodes were combined and aired as four two-part TV movies on USA. And then this is the kicker here. The entire series was edited into 22 feature-length films later that year. I think, given that I think it was like a, like an hour and a half long, I think, for the Mystery of the Blues, I think that's what they're calling here in this Wikipedia entry as uh, feature-length films, and there's 22 of them that matches up with the one season of 22, and the, the titles just don't even match. So what did I say? My First Adventure and Hollywood Follies. Uh, according to here, it's like Young Indiana Jones and the Curse of the Jackal. Well, what's the other number one? Austria, March 1917. Hmm, what's the final episode? Transylvania, January 1918. And then from the four films, Young Indiana Jones travels with father. It is just 
Bonkers. a crazy mess from what I can see. Bonkers. It's weird. It's weird. But I can confirm that we can see Harrison Ford in, in this series. It's weird because I see, um, I'm looking at IMDb, right? So it starts in 1992, and then it jumps to 1995 and 96. So it's the first one is The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, my first adventure, like you mentioned. And then it jumps to like 95, and then there's one in 99. This is under season one listing. And then, so they, I mean, they must have just been like, I don't know, drunk when they listed the shows. This is, this is under the um, Adventures of, right? But under the Chronicles, so Chronicles match, I think, what you were just saying, Jaime. Chronicles, it says, 28 episodes. Yeah, Young Indiana Jones and the Curse of the Jackal is the first episode in 1992, according to this. So maybe they went back, and, and there's only like six episodes in 1992. And, oh, why just 1992? Yeah, it's, it's all messed up. Weird. Can I go now? strange. I don't see the blues. Yeah, one. I think Jonathan's got the decoder ring because, as described, is literally just what I could see on Wikipedia, what I compared with the American Disney Plus, and, yeah. and we did have Harrison Ford, which was a question the last time I think. So the Wikipedia article kind of dances around it a little bit related to the Indiana Jones stuff, but what basically happened was the show aired on ABC for a number of years. And then a few years after it aired, they went back and um, they re-edited it. Because originally, the way that it was shown was basically, they would tell sort of two stories in one. They would tell a little bit from really young Indiana Jones, when Indiana Jones was like a kid. And then they would tie that story into another one with like late teens Indiana Jones. So there was actually two young Indiana Joneses in the series. And then... After the first season, they went back and they stopped using the the little kid parts. They just used the the teenage one because that part was getting a lot more positive review. So then they went back after the series was done and they re-edited some of the episodes to combine them and change things around. So that's what changed the, the number count from, I think, 28 to 22. But that still doesn't explain why there's only 20 or 21 episodes on the, the iTunes store. I don't understand what the limitation was on not having Mystery of the Blues on there. So that's a, that's a strange one. Yeah. And there's some really interesting stars in this. Like the one thing, by the way, um, I think you got to get working on your beard there, John, because uh, Harrison Ford is listed as Indiana Jones age 50. In this, uh, in this list, yeah. So you got like a few months to get that beard going. Well, um, <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I, I don't think you're I gray, can grow sorry, you're that gray, gray and your gray beard too. That's you know. That's, exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, and then I noticed that Jason Fleming is is listed. He's a uh, English actor. You see him in in a lot of things. And then um, Timothy Spall as well. Another. Oh, and Jeffrey Wright's in this one too. Huh. Quite a few names besides um, Harrison Ford. Well, bottom line is the only person that can see it now for nothing above what they're already paying is Jaime. And yeah. so I hope you enjoy Jaime. I, I actually really enjoyed that series back in the day. The production value was quite high. And the, you know, when they are filming in, you know, when they, when they say they're in North Africa to do, you know, a scene, they're in North Africa. When they say they're in Europe, they're in Europe. Like it, the budget for it was pretty high. So it's uh, it, for, the, for the time period, there's a level of authenticity that's quite, quite good. Yeah, I remember watching that show in the back in the day. Like I remember watching, I probably saw like maybe one or two episodes of it. But yeah, they used to air it in uh, on I think Saturday nights. So I would set my wait for it VCR sometimes to record it. Uh, it was a little bit sporadic, so I don't think I saw them on all your during VHS the... tape. There, That's yeah. right. Yeah, I didn't see them all in the original run, and then they started putting them out 
on VHS back in the day, uh, but they never put them all out. I think they put out sort of a select number, and I had some of those. And then eventually they collected them all in DVD form, so you could you could get all of the the episodes. So that's what I have is the the three original box sets that cover the entire original run, and that's actually worth pursuing if you're a big Indiana Jones buff because. Again, lots of behind the scenes stuff, lots of making of, talking about the legacy. So if you're if you're way into Indiana Jones, uh, that's worth picking up. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Got a couple more corrections and uh, fact checks here. So uh, we were talking about Superman uh, legacy and whether or not we would be forced to once again sit through an origin story. Well, we actually got an answer this week on Twitter. When James Gunn, uh, who of course is one of the um, prime architects of the uh, upcoming reboot of the DC Comics uh, cinematic universe, he was asked if we were going to see the Superman origin one more time, and he said no. So uh, explicitly no, we're not going to have to go and watch the entire origin story again, which is great, because I think we talked about it last week. I think we get it. We know. We're, We're there. So that's a nice one. I have a question. Uh, yeah. um, in Detective Comics, was the first Superman? No, Action appar- Comics. Appearance? Action Comics. So in that in that first, you know, episode, was there the origin story, or are they just you know him lifting cars and stuff, or like, yeah, I think just it show is. I say been today, a long, or? I'll admit it's been a long time. I actually I have a reprint of the original uh, up mm-hmm. here in my office. It's been a long time so since I've read it. Probably a good. 15 or 20 years, but I do seem to recall that it's basically his entire origin told in like one page, but it's interesting. Like the, if, if if anybody's curious, it is an absolutely fascinating exploration into how characters evolve. If you read the first sort of handful of episodes or a handful of issues of action comics, very different vibe that Superman gives off one. He can't fly. Uh, but also, you know, well, able to leap, leap tall buildings in a single bound. That was the deal, right? So, right, okay. Very different in his powers. The costume is obviously uh, not quite exactly what we we think of when we think of Superman. But just the way he talks, like he's kind of, uh, you know, he's a little bit um, anti-establishmenty. He's got like a bit of a weird vibe. I mean, this is the 1930s when this character is created, and obviously a lot of stuff happening in the world and. Uh, yeah, it was very interesting to sort of go back and, and take a look at those books. I, I highly recommend. You can easily find them on things like Comixology if you want to have a look. But they're uh, cool. they, they're a real different vibe than I think when people think of Superman. So, yeah. Nice. A uh, couple things from last week's episode of uh, Strange New Worlds. I had said uh, that they were going to the Lakeside uh, restaurant. It was the Lake View, of course. I was mistaken. That I uh, got got that would explain why I couldn't find it on Apple Maps. Yes, know. yes, mm-hmm. yes. The Lake View, um, and I, I just could not, I could not resist the urge doing this. So uh, bear with me here. So in the episode, they refer to the long world's longest bridge was created uh, here in Toronto for the purposes of going to somewhere. And this was a huge blow to humanity, this bridge being destroyed. Okay, so the world's longest bridge right now, in this current time, is in China. It, oh, is, okay. it is the Danyang Kunshan Grand Bridge in China. It is 164 kilometers long, which is really long for a bridge. And uh, so w- that's the number, 164 kilometers. I played a little game with myself on, uh, on Google Maps. By putting a pinpoint down on Cherry Beach, where it seems like the bridge starts, 
and I basically cast it around all the different points that they could connect with. Now, we couldn't connect with Buffalo because Buffalo is actually uh, on the lake shores of Lake Erie, so that wouldn't work. Uh, I thought, well, maybe Niagara Falls, that's not going to work. So I cast around. I got as far as Rochester and thought, okay, well, yeah, that's, Rochester, a lo- yeah. that's a logical yeah. destination, and it's not a straight line across. Toronto. There used to be a hovercraft from Toronto to Rochester. There you know? was. There was. Yeah. A- and, actually, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm glad you put the link in the show notes. So I don't have to go looking for it. What was the name of the bridge again? It was in the China? Dan Yang Kunshan Grand Bridge. Dan Yang. I'm, I'm assuming it's spelled like you say. Oh, it's yeah, there it is. Exactly Dan right. Yep. yep. So I just want to see what this bridge looks like. <laughs> so I thought, okay, let's see. If uh, how far it is from Toronto to Rochester, it's not. It's, they're not a straight line across from each other. There is a bit of a diagonal cut. Rochester is further to the east than Toronto is. So the longest distance there from Toronto to Rochester would be a hundred and forty-seven point six seven kilometers from shore to shore. So even if for some unbelievably stupid reason someone decided that that was a good idea for a bridge, it still wouldn't be the world's longest bridge, even as of twenty twenty-three. Let alone whenever it is that they theoretically are supposed to have been in Toronto, which is somewhere in our near future where there's, you know, uh, eugenics experiments happening at the ROM and hand scanners and all kinds of cool stuff that can measure your DNA and let you in. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe it's just like, what's the widest point from Lake Ontario from the Canadian side to the American side? Well, that's only 85 kilometers. So it's not, it couldn't even be that. So there is no logical way <laughs> that there's any possibility that the world's longest bridge, unless it was literally like a, a Hot Wheels track in the middle and did a couple of loops around the middle of Lake Ontario, there's no logical place for the world's longest bridge to be connecting Toronto to anything. The only thing that could even remotely make sense is trying to connect it to like the far end of the lake and even then it doesn't make any sense because there's nothing there you'd be literally collecting to like upstate new york forests hmm. by the way it's 104 102 miles uh Jaime, not kilometers yeah that's what <laughs> so I was where, to figure out where like, what, what i understand is like this is not a this is like a landlocked bridge like what's the deal why would they need this bridge it's between shanghai and something or other province but it, but the picture of it just seems like it's running it's just a race road like the gardner expressway i guess yeah i mean it could be obviously something oh, it's got a train on it's got a train on it that's why yeah it could be something spanning uh a valley as well as a, as a river water ocean whatever yeah it looks like there's a train on it so obviously it's maybe it's maybe it's to give the train stability or something yeah yeah it's for the yeah for the Be- uh, beijing shanghai high-speed railway there you go viaduct ah yeah so from Toronto, Ontario, to Freedom, New York, <laughs> approximately 100 miles. Now, you have been walking on this bridge past Buffalo for some reason, like over <laughs> Buffalo. It's just like this weird sky bridge that you'd be going on, but sure, uh, could be. Yeah. Well, it's know. a choice. Uh, you know, maybe it's the other way. Like, maybe we shouldn't assume that the bridge starts in Toronto. Maybe it starts in, like, 
you know, Georgina, just looking at the map here, <laughs> goes somewhere. <laughs> it goes over the skinny part of what Toronto would have. That convenient then, uh, bridge we've always needed between Georgina and Freedom, New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, Watertown, I've been to Watertown, New York. Is it anywhere near there, Jaime? Oh, no. This measurement tool is going wild. I don't know where Watertown is. Let me take a look. To New York State. It's a big state. Watertown. Yes. Watertown. Where? Oh, all the way over there. So just a bridge that goes, like, the long way across to, uh, Ontario, uh, Lake Ontario. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll buy that. Let's see. 100 miles. Next time I go to Long I'm equated at Dundas and, and uh, uh, we're Bloor Street in Oslington. I'll have to go down to the Lake Lakeview for some poutine. Yeah. So you get close to like Prince Edward. So you couldn't make it to the U.S. going the long way. People love geography on our podcast. I got to tell you. Isn't this the best? Our, like, Rochester must be like the closest. Like That's the only sensible thing, I think. Yeah. You know what they like even more than geography, Jonathan? Weather. They love it when we talk about the weather. <laughs> what about hockey? Do they like it when we talk about hockey? Well, the, that's for the after, sh- after show people. <laughs> Uh, I mean, who's, want... the goal, who's the big goal, who's the big goal scorer on the, on the Kraken? Speaking of hockey, Bear, Barons or something like that. Bernays, the, the top uh, goal scorer. Yeah, who's the who's the, the the guy on the Kraken? That's like like McCann. Like like no. At the Hockey Hall of Fame, they've got a uh, they've got a couple of sweaters in the window. They've got like a couple of Gretzky ones. One was Gretzky with the with the ninety nine. It's not the same size. I'm not sure what uh, uniform that was from, but. Um, but they've got like, you know, Matthews and then some dude 16 or something like that on the Kraken and then some other guy from like just in the window at the Hockey Hall of Fame. I'm just like, why, why is Seattle, maybe Seattle Kraken is because they're like a new team or something. Like, why is there such a push on that team? It's a new, I guess it's a new, newest team in the league, right? Yeah, that, yeah, I think yeah. that's no, more number nineteen. Jared McCann might be who you're thinking of for the if it was the no, leading it was, goal scorer. It, it was a a B, a, a player with B B in the name. Was it Marty Beniers? Beniers, yeah, that sounds uh, right. Uh, Matty, rather, that? Matty Beniers. He was, uh, yeah, he's a good player. He had um, almost eighty points in eighty games this year. He's, he's a good good player. Mm. He's a young guy. He's this was his first. He was a rookie this year. Okay, yeah, yeah. Number ten, uh, he's like number two on the. The leading goals. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. All right. So carry on. Are okay. we done with our uh, fact no. check? No. One last thing. No. Okay. One right. last measurement. It's 3.65 kilometers to walk from Front Street to the Lake View. That's too yeah. far to walk for a meal. Just saying. Now, well, great restaurant. That, that's I, a long I do walk. Have to, I do have to fact. I do have to fact check you on a couple of things, though, because I, I work downtown and I regularly go for walks at lunchtime and stuff like that. And I can walk from my office at Union Station to um, Queen Street and Nathan Phillips Square in 10 minutes. OK, so it, it is conceivable that they could have. And well, I used to work. I used to work down the block from the Harborfront Center and Harborfront Center from there over and then up to where they were at Young and Dundas Square. It's, it's a hike. Yeah, it's fifteen minutes. Yeah, it's it's. I I do that every day, Jonathan. Just just for record, but you All know, right. um, well, you're in far better shape than those people on Star Trek. I well, or, or am I? I mean, you know, they're <laughs> off worlders. Yeah, and that's the other thing. There's like, okay, like you know, I, I saw an interview with with the dude talking about the fact that he get to pl- he get to play with this because this is a Kirk that's never been on Earth. 
Why was he able to stand up? Yeah. Well, Actually, you know, speaking inertial of inertial dampeners, we're going to get into tropes later on. But but that was one of the uh, one of the tropes that they talked about on. Uh, I found a site that listed off a bunch of tropes on on Star Trek, and one of them was universal gravity. Right, like no matter what planet they went yeah, to, well, yeah, they could yeah. always stand up. Right, <laughs> and then they always had artificial gravity on whatever spaceship they were on. Right, so. Okay. Yeah, unless it was plot specific, like oh, you know, the deck plating has stopped working for artificial gravity, or if it was like or their that magnetic one, boots or whatever. Yeah, or that one Deep Space Nine episode where they they had somebody like a scientist or doctor or something come on board and they um, they couldn't take the gravity, the, oh, yeah. the normal quote unquote normal Earth like gravity. So they had all this like assistive like wheelchair uh, brace stuff. And they, like, turned off the gravity or lowered the gravity in her quarters so that she could breathe a little bit easier and not be crushed. So, uh, to your point, unless it was specifically part of the plot, just assume that people were noticing, oh, is this, uh, is this you know, what was it 9.8 meters per second squared or is this 9.7? Maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe it's as low as 9.6 and got a little spring in my step. All right, well, let's move on to our headlines. I'm up first for, for once. Wow. Um, so l- last week was a big weekend, right? I mean, it was like a three-day weekend for us in Canada. It was a 40 weekend for the people in the States, for a lot of people in the States, right? Um, for some reason, the CBC took Friday off as their day off, and the rest of the country took Monday off. I don't know. But you would think, wouldn't you, that if you were releasing a movie around, you know, July 4th holiday weekend, you're going to make some good bank, right? Wouldn't you think? An assumption you would make? Mm-hmm. Depends what kind yeah. of product you're putting out, Tim. Well, what if you were putting out like the last Indiana Jones movie? Like, how about that one? Wait, would it what be starring this? an 80 year old over the hill mumbling Harrison Ford? Well, oh yeah. What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Indiana Jones uh, basically raked in about $60 million. Am I reading that right? Yeah, $60 million for Indiana Jones and a Dial of Destiny, which puts it in eighth place of the top 10, what do you call it, first run? What's it, what's it called? Premier weekend? Yeah, opening weekends, yeah. Box office, open, box office opening weekend. So of the movies this year, it's in eighth place. Creed was slightly behind, Creed 3 was behind it. Um, with Fast X, it beat, Fast X beat it. John Wick Chapter 4 came in sixth. Little Mermaid at ninety five million came in at fifth. Ant Man Quantumania hundred and six um, million dollars. I mean, and these are not great numbers, but I, I, as far as I know, right? Um, no, I mean these Guardians are way, the Ga- way off of sort of pre pandemic totals, right? Ga- Guardians of the Galaxy number three at one hundred and eighteen. Spider Man across the Spider Verse at one hundred and two. One hundred and twenty. Sorry, thank you. 120. The number one uh, movie, of course, was Super uh, Super Mario Brothers. I almost said Superman. Super Mario Brothers, the movie, um, at 146 million dollars. So mm. uh, they had a 300 thousand dollar budget for Indiana Jones or something like that. They they had a how much budget? 300 million. Oof, that's steep. Yeah, like ouch, right? Like ouch. That's gonna that's gonna Does sting that include all the marketing, or is that just uh... uh probably probably marketing. Because that's the seems like they've been marketing the the heck out of it too, trying to get people drummed up and interested. Yeah, yeah, and and well, yeah. I just I just read uh, it's not in this article. I can't remember where I read that from, but yeah, I do remember seeing that it was like 
I think the other story I saw on it referenced the fact that they only pulled in this amount of money and they but they need to make that much money. mind you there's the worldwide box office and there's going to be like it's going to be running for a couple of weeks right so but yeah for it's kind of a poor opening but then again like you said this year we've got poor openings all around right yeah i mean there's a lot of factors that can add up to to bad performance but i think the biggest one is just that uh that cinematic apathy right a lot of people just yeah. aren't going to the movies and and you you know you properly highlighted that when you run down those numbers and you compare that to pre-pandemic some of the monstrous numbers we were seeing out of things i'll be really curious to see i i think uh that the you know not my cup of tea, but I know you're worried about the Tom Cruise movie. Admit it. The Tom Cruise you movie, want... I bet you, is going to be the biggest movie of the year. I, I bet you it is. I'd be shocked if it wasn't by the time. Well, it was yeah, done. I think I think what was it the uh, the Maverick one brought people back to the theaters. They're doing. They're saying yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, huh. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a big one. I think it's going to be a big movie that uh, that a lot of people want to see in the theaters. And I think that. You Mind know, you, I think Oppenheimer and Barbie are gonna gonna kick butt too, though. I don't know. Uh, Barbie, I could see having a really populist appeal. Oppenheimer's, yeah. It, I mean, edgy, I love. Right? I love Chris Nolan. I love the films that he makes. I think this is going to be a great movie. I've really enjoyed the the trailer, and and I'm hyped for it. But I'm not sure it has quite as big a populist appeal. I'd be shocked if it made a, a boatload of money. It's it's just it's. Who wants to go yeah, and it's sit? Not, it's and, not. It's and, not like a popcorn Guardians of the Galaxy, Chris Pratt running around like an idiot movie, right? So yeah, like who wants to see the you know the the you know misery of trying to create the nuclear bomb and realizing you know I mean Oppenheimer you know was was absolutely angst ridden by the fact that he had unleashed this on the world. So you know it's not exactly a, a, a humdinger and a and a great thing for everybody to be happy with, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's an interesting because yeah, I mean, yeah, I think for the rest of his life, he just kind of like ran around saying, my God, this is the worst thing I've ever done. Right. So mm -hmm. I am becoming and we are crazy for yeah. using it. Hmm? Yeah. Didn't he, he quote uh, uh, was the famous quote? I have become death destroyer of worlds. That's not something you say yeah. lately. No, no, exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, you guys are probably yeah, I know you guys lived through it. So because the the. The threat of nuclear holocaust was. Oh yeah. No, is that, is that the right word? Oh yeah. Um, okay, I wasn't sure. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the obliteration of the human beings with nuclear war was something you guys grew up with as well as me, right? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until uh, like Reagan and Gorbachev that they started dismantling the bombs, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was later. It was really kind of. You know, post post postroika, and yeah, it wasn't until the late eighties, nineties, right? 90s? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the late eighties that we started to see it starting to come apart, and it really, it just, it was really just the fact that Russia ran out of money that that became the big problem, right? Yeah, 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 right. And and can you just imagine if? Oh my God, the nut bars that are there now, or or even even between when you know Glasnost or what it was called, and and. And uh, where we are today, there was that, that period of time where it was like every man for himself kind of thing, right? For a while. Pretty yeah. scary. Mm -hmm. I guess spoilers for the pics, uh, but uh, somebody <laughs> has Black Mirror, and there's an episode that I I enjoyed, my significant other did not, that uh, oh. covers this very topic, doesn't it? Well, we'll, we'll tease okay, you there, we'll, and then you you can watch the rest of the, listen to the rest of the show to, to get that. Sure, Stay we'll tuned. There, it's yeah, all yeah. coming down. Uh-huh. All right. Speaking of suicide, Jaime. <laughs> yeah, uh, in things I didn't, uh, I didn't know were happening, and uh, it's not exactly an obvious fit. There's a 
anime adaptation of the Suicide Squad characters called Suicide Squad Isekai. The trailer doesn't really have that much info. It's a very short trailer. It didn't have, like, release windows. If you're wondering, what is an isekai? Well, let me tell you, kids. This is one of those common, uh, I guess it's a genre of manga and anime where it means being in a different world of some sort. So you generally see either somebody has been transported into another world, like a high school kid is like, oh, I accidentally fell through the well, and now I'm in feudal Japan, right? I'm in another world. Oh, yeah. Or the other kind of weirder, darker one is, I'm a loser. I accidentally get hit by a bus. I die, and I'm reincarnated in another world. Uh, there's there's a lot of these different ones out there. It's, like, absurdly popular. So if you haven't heard the word or the term isekai, now you know. So. I'm going to assume that there is either a reincarnation or a visit another world kind of thing going on with this Suicide Squad thing, just from the name itself. I didn't see anything in the trailer that led me there. It was really just the name. What I heard was multiverse, and I fell asleep immediately. Yeah. (laughs) Did you? Do you remember when animation was like bunny rabbits and butterflies and, you know, mice mice playing jazz and stuff, you know? (laughs) No, but I do remember them trying to kill each other with chainsaws and frying pans. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> while the right, while the mice were playing jazz in the Exactly, in the exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's next, Simon? Uh, the headline here from Bloomberg is is entertaining, and there's a few choice sort of uh, sections I want to look at. So, the title here from Bloomberg is Amazon CEO asks his Hollywood studio to explain its big spending. So it's got some interesting stuff. Um, there's a there's a wonderful little chart that shows that, like, Netflix has, like, 37.9% global platform demand share for all streaming originals. And a surprise, a uh, little squeaking out into number two is Prime Video. Remember, Netflix at 37.9%. Number two is 10.8% at Prime Video and uh, Disney Plus at 9.4, bigger drop down to 6.8% for Apple TV Plus, Hulu at 5.1%, Paramount Plus at 4.9%, and weirdly, HBO Max at 4.5%. And then there's a remaining 20-some%. So uh, hypothetically, Amazon doing okay from one particular stat, but uh, CEO Andy Jassy is like, what am I spending all this money for? And Mm. there's a great sort of... uh, Thing that I feel like is the marketing team's fault here. Right? I'm not saying they're not overspending in their production, but uh, quote from the article, in the past nine months, Amazon has released at least half a dozen pricey series that failed to deliver huge audiences. Oh. Daisy Jones and the Six, The Power, Dead Ringers, and The Peripheral all cost more than $100 million to produce, but failed to crack Nielsen's list of the 10 most watched stream programmings in the U.S. Even mm. The Rings of Power at $400 million plus, a show that attracted a large audience, failed to hold on to most of its viewers over the course of the season, according to Hollywood Porter. So let's just put Rings of Power aside, because I feel like that fits neatly into uh, to this very show, and it's certainly a, a TV show we've talked about. Have either of you heard of even one of Daisy Jones and the Six? I watched Peripheral. Power, Dead Ringers. Okay, you actually heard of and watched the Peripheral. Well, Dead Ringers I, is a remake of an old Cronenberg movie, too. Rachel yeah, why would that I was Rachel Weisz was in the, the new version. I watched the trailer for yeah. it, but it, it's, a, I mean, the original movie's messed up, and this looked also <laughs> yeah. messed up, so it was not something yeah. for me. Yeah, it's a girl instead of a boy this time, yeah. 
yeah. Or twins. So, yeah. so you guys, even even you know, laying the, the groundwork that we're on a podcast, we talk about this sort of stuff. Out of out of like thirty three percent of this host group, twenty five watch twenty five percent of the shows <laughs> that you just mentioned. Yeah, and we're not like the average person audience, right? We're folks yeah. who who have a podcast where we talk about stuff. And we all watch like these this. channels, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's like, dude, I couldn't even tell you what any of these were about, or or who was in them. I we may have even talked briefly about them in like a headlines or something, but, um, you know, I feel like the bigger problem is the marketing team isn't doing its job to get this out to the average person who is like clearly watching stuff like stranger things or succession or, or house of the dragon or other things that, that excite sort of the average person. And if it's not just the marketing team, it could also be like when I go into prime video on, you know, on my phone, on my Roku, on a Chromecast, like I see all sorts of stuff. I don't get, promoted this sort of thing or, or or maybe not in an obvious enough way right so there's like like you're spending the money but like what's the point if nobody knows that this thing exists well so there's an interesting thing though like if, if i look at this pie chart first of all i look at this and i see okay at 39 37.9 percent netflix is a behemoth right but if you so if you take netflix off the chart like you just remove them from the thing the prime videos is would be in prime videos in second place admittedly like you know a third of the size not even a third of the size of netflix in terms of audience but of all the uh prime video disney apple tv hulu paramount plus and and max you know it's quite it's you know it's it's competitive with apple tv and disney right like they're they're sort of neck and neck in terms of numbers right um Netflix has been around forever. I mean, like, you know, they, they've been around when, since they were like these things called DVDs that people used to get. Right. Um, so, I mean, like, it's like, uh, how can, I mean, as a, as a business person, like being number two in this market is, is like being number one, because like, it's like Apple trying to topple Microsoft. It's never going to happen. Apple may be the most valuable company in the world at $3 trillion dollars market cap or whatever right but mark but microsoft has the larger base of installed computer operating systems right like apple can't compete with that they may they may be kicking butt on phones but you know what i mean like so it's like it's like trying to take like apple trying to take on microsoft is as futile as trying to take on netflix as a streaming service right that's how i look at this chart like there's there's no way these guys like you know and and so I mean like and how do you get Prime Video? I, I get Prime Video because I I I belong to the Prime Club or whatever the hell you call it, right? So you know I get free shipping plus I get Prime TV, right? Um, that that's not the same. I pay more money if you think about it to Apple and to Disney, and and if I had HBO and Paramount Plus, I would be paying them more money than than I'm paying Prime. I mean Prime is kind of giving away the cow, giving away the milk with the cow, right? Um, from that perspective, like, how do you guys get Prime Video? Like, are you are you a Prime member, Jaime? Yes, uh, I'm a Prime member. Started originally uh, for the shipping benefits, yeah. But same critically, um, I knowingly elected to go with Prime. I think it's worth mentioning here, just to to cast some potential aspersions on Prime Video, right, and add some doubt. So you may not be aware in, in Canada, but in the US of A, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, has uh, 
issued a lawsuit against Amazon for uh, accusing it, and these are all allegations, accusing Amazon of tricking millions of customers into signing up for its Prime subscription service through deceptive user interface designs. Oh, by, oh really? Oh, so, really? So if you see where I'm getting at, that doesn't necessarily mean that you know people are watching Prime Video uh, more than they should, but they certainly could, right? If somebody is like, hey, you know, I heard about this Jack Ryan thing. Oh, look, it's free. Yes, it is, quote unquote, free. You didn't realize that when you bought that other thing, you got tricked into <laughs> to subscribing to Prime. So, so there, you know, there's a little bit of leeway here where like maybe Disney Plus is the true number two. It's really hard to know without that confounding factor. Well, the other thing too is like like if you if you ask me to rate my services based on what I like, you know, what I what I what I prefer. I personally would put Apple TV Plus first and I would put Disney like very close to second. Um I probably would go like Paramount Plus and Netflix would be the next ones and then Prime would probably be my would be my fourth or fifth choice, right? I do watch a lot of Prime shows, but there's a lot of stuff on Prime that I just like I mean they have really weird documentaries which I watch from, from time to time, but it's not my go-to for a streaming service, right? Probably maybe because I mean, like I was around, I've been using it since. Like, I mean, High Man from High Castle was like pretty much the only thing to wor- worth watching when it first came out, right? Um, it's taken a while for Prime to sort of get going. I mean, what I like about Prime though is is now they have things like Everything Everywhere All at Once, and you know they've they've got some some first run movies in there, right? But and there are some good shows. I mean, I, it's funny, like how many times I go to the theater and I see an Amazon production mm-hmm. in in the the cinemas, right? They won um, Oscars, right? They won for um, the, by the sea, uh, Manchester by the sea, won uh, best yeah, picture. Right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was a good example. Yeah. Um, I don't know how do you, how do you guys? Where do you position the shit? Because we've done this on our on our Spocky Awards every year. We've asked people how they rate the different systems, and Prime doesn't come out as a number one, even though it's sitting in by the numbers in second place right now. Yeah, I think that one is, a, I think Jaime is right. I think it's a, definitely a product of the combination package that you get. If they basically said, hey, for half the price, you could get just the quicker deliveries and all the, the bonuses that come with being a prime member around getting faster service, access to special sales and stuff like that. and you know." you pay a little bit more and you get all of the streaming services, I bet you they would lose a lot of their subscriptions on that end pretty fast. So it, it is really, you're kind of, it's it's completely misleading because it's not like anything else. It would be like if Disney Plus was like, yeah, and you also get free tickets to Disneyland while you do this, like, <laughs> you know, or if Netflix was like, hey, hope you're enjoying Netflix, by the way, uh, you know, come come down to visit, you know, Stranger Things land or, you know, like it just it doesn't seem like a level playing field as far as market penetration. It can claim to be the second biggest but really, like they're just offering something so different in the bundle that they have. So, so I mean, um, I just did some quick math on it. So I think I pay about eighty dollars a year for Prime. I think, right? Hmm. That's like six bucks a month, right? Like the other services aren't six bucks a month. No, but then you know? you're also so, you're I mean, getting more value out of it because you're you are getting. Faster delivery, you are getting, you know, yeah. all, all the other I things mean, that I, come with I it. Spend, I would spend way more on shipping than I, like, I mean, we probably place like 10 orders a month easily, like to Amazon, mm-hmm. you know, so. 
Yeah, and and Amazon, as as my son is is want to point out, Amazon in the United States is infinitely better as far as the amount of products you can get compared to Amazon Canada. You know, so many more you know sellers, so many more products. So I mean, we're not even getting that full service up here for your for your dollar. So it's what what are these these numbers are based on what of demand share. It's a really weird title. So global platform demand share for all streaming originals. Global. Hmm. Okay. First quarter of 2023. Oh, and streaming originals too. This isn't. This yeah. isn't just like everything in the in the catalog. Because yeah, cause like Disney Friends and Seinfeld that, right? and The Office yeah. are not a factor here. Otherwise, yeah. you know, probably Peacock shoots way up there. Because I think that's where they they have it again. Um, I found the number yeah. in here the most interesting. Jaime was that the twenty. 20- plus percent that are other and you're right i think like things like peacock are in there but that's a that's a very significant market number for a lot of other smaller things right yeah i mean i guess there's there's certainly room there if you wanted to become you know i have no idea which it, it would be nice to see the other services broken out uh to see like would it be plausible to you know thanos collecting the infinity stones like creates a 20 percent monster you would shoot up to number two right mm. if you merged uh, uh gosh what's even out there if you merged um like Tubi and Crunchyroll and uh is there amc plus you know just keep acquiring these uh these uh, smaller ones and and add them up well, and we've talked about that, right? That the idea that eventually the way this logically ends is more bundling and more uh, acquisitions, right? Like that just seems to be the logical direction for this. It is funny because Apple TV Plus, according to this, is just a little shy shy of seven percent of the market, but they could pay cash for Netflix right now. Who could? Amp- Apple. Oh, Apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, we talked about, I think we talked about this last year, but, you know, we talked about the value of, of uh, you know, Disney and, and Amazon, you know, Apple couldn't just outright buy those products, but they could buy the market leader with like the liquid cash they have sitting in Ireland right now. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind. Just where all the other cash they have at Tim, Tim Cook's house, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's also worth pointing out that like, it's kind of almost an arbitrary distinction to split out Hulu and Disney instead of putting them together Yeah, uh, Yeah. as a, like, yes, Hulu is its own entity. It is its own streaming thing for sure. But Disney basically owns because of the controlling interest in Hulu. So you combine those together, you get, you know, 14.5% and they combined go into number two Mm -hmm. ahead of prime. So it's, it's a really weird sort of world. Um, And the, the last thing I'll say here, with uh, Amazon and, and how it's spending is they're certainly thinking of cinematic universe because uh, there's a, a line right underneath the um, underneath the, the graph that says that uh, you know Citadel didn't work out the way they wanted it to, but it really started as more as a business premise of what if we had a global series that could be in multiple locations and have country specific spinoffs. It's a loose paraphrase of what they say here. So that didn't really start as like a, a creative endeavor. It started as like, how can you bootstrap sort of a, a cinematic universe concept? And maybe that's why it didn't do as well, because it's really hard to do that. You 
kind of more want to plan to make it available, but not necessarily force it, I think. Yep. So sidebar. So I know we we may have discussed this before, but have you guys checked out Pluto TV? Uh, occasionally, sometimes I you know it's uh, more like yeah. I think I think I have it as sort a of stuff. T- I think I have it as a an app on the on the Apple TV app here. But I discovered it like basically it's streaming like like old classic TV shows. Like if you want to watch Doctor Who, they they run every Doctor Who on a Doctor Who channel. If there's no advertising and there's no charge for the service, I don't understand what the business model is, but you can watch classic TV, you know, on Pluto TV right now, <laughs> you know, uh, don't have to sign up for anything like that. I don't, I don't recall signing anything or whatever. You just flip on the channel and start watching. It's really cool. And is, so, is it commercial you... based? Like, is there commercials? No, there's no commercials. No, nothing. Like, no, mm-hmm. they're, I don't know what they're selling or like, maybe they're, maybe they're, I'm being indoctrinated in some cult or something. I don't know, but, <laughs> you know, but I like every, every time I go had regular um, ad breaks, maybe it's changed since I've last looked at it then. I don't know, maybe, maybe there might be, but yeah, it's like I've flipped by and watched stuff that I used to watch in the seventies and stuff like, like Carol Burnett show and Thing, it's just the oddest collection of stuff. It's nothing like you know. You kind of you kind of just get in there and you start you know doing the the channel flip until you find something you want to watch, right? But um, yeah, and you can mark like the Doctor Who channel is your favorite, and it's and it's not it's not like the Doctor Who stuff we've never been able to just go and find, Jonathan. Like it's like the David or the Pertwee stuff and the um, you know Third Doctor, Fourth Doctor. You know, I I've watched some of the stuff from the eighties which I'd never seen before, right? Hmm. Or the you know the, those weird doctors, right? Yeah, it's just just totally weird. But yeah, free. They just apparently, I mean, like I would watch a commercial for that. I mean, like you know, it's it's better than what's on cable TV, right? So yeah, and it's probably one of those ones in that twenty percent that we were talking. Yeah, about. maybe. Well, and it's not. But that was for like that was that those numbers for new content, though, right? Yeah, I suppose that's so true. Is, I don't know if they have any new content at all. No, I wouldn't. Nothing. Everything's like old from like. 60s, 70s, and 80s, right? Yeah. Check it out if you haven't checked out Pluto. Link in the show notes. Back to you, Jaime. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you all are, are fans of the Strange Planet uh, webcomic series, um, mm-hmm. like on Instagram, uh, about a uh, couple of aliens living their, their alien life on Earth and and not totally understanding our customs or having really weird uh <laughs> like almost, the coneheads yeah yeah like the coneheads almost mechanical <laughs> kind of thing it's it's very it's very much in that sort of style um apparently uh, i don't know if we talked about this before i apologize if my memory is bad but uh the strange planet animated series will start streaming on uh, apple tv plus in august apparently august 9th is the premiere hmm yeah, that's, the strip is really funny. He's got a great sense of humor. Uh, my my son was a big fan. He actually turned me on to it when he first started getting into social and discovered it and kept sending me these little little cartoon strips. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a laugh. I like the ones where he's uh, pointing out the, the quirky observations about the pets and stuff like that. They always make me laugh. Yeah, like there's one, there's one I'm reading here. It's like you and me going to the movies. Can we observe a fictional narrative? We can. Will you remain conscious? I will not. <laughs> will you describe the portions I miss? I will. Tomorrow, as per our custom. <laughs> well, that is our custom. <laughs> what did I miss? Not much. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. One more, honey. 
Yeah, I was wondering where the Super Mario Brothers movie will end up. And apparently, it's coming to Peacock on August 3rd. And it can stream exclusively on Peacock. Well, that doesn't help us at all. Yeah, I'm like, hmm, well, I guess Twisted Metal, this... uh, this article mentions. I'm like, all right, sure. If I hold out till October, I can watch uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, which we mentioned last episode. So hmm? maybe I can find a way to, to, you know, binge these things together for the the one month subscription price of Peacock. The uh, the Lopez calculation, right? Like, yeah, Lopez how do I do this the yeah. cheapest possible way for these uh, these outliers? Yeah, that's a good good plan. So when you when you set up a like one of these things that you, you create your account, right? You watch it. Do you cancel your account or you just put it on hold? And like, what happens when you want to come back? Do you just use the same login? Uh, let me think about this. So I think most services let you either pause or cancel your subscription. It still lets you log in, but you basically can't do anything other than ooh and awe at the titles you could be watching if you were paying instead of, you know, being a, a, a cheap mooch. <laughs> or uh, you can also, of course, go restart your subscription, but they... They don't really do much without the uh, the paid subscription. Yeah, it's funny, you know. Like, like I I I ride my bike to work these days, right? So I have an actual bike in the garage and stuff like that, and I have somewhere to lock it secure at uh, at work, so I don't have to worry about it getting stolen or whatever. But occasionally, I want to ride a bike. And in Toronto, we have these city bikes. You probably have them in Seattle too, where you just you go and you pay for a membership and you ride for whatever length of time, right? But if you're like a tourist, or if you're like me and you just need a one off. Right, I can pay an extra dollar for like a pay-as-you-go plan, and I pay the same amount of money as I would if I was like riding it per day. But I don't have to create a membership per se. Like I have an account, right? And I just, you know, I have to give them a fifty-dollar deposit or whatever. I would do that for these kind of services if they had like a, hey, I just want to, wa- I just want to drop in, watch maybe a day of TV or a couple of hours of TV. You know, because I want to watch this thing. I guess it's the same thing as renting something from Apple TV or whatever. But well, and for the like cost, for these services, you, could, you could almost do that for like the month. I think depending on what you're into, yeah. you know, things like. But then you'd have to be like Jaime. You'd have to have like a whole bunch of shows lined up, ready. Okay, I got to wait till this series comes out, and all the shows are released, so I can sit down and binge it. Yeah, yeah. You you would have to pick the right window. But I mean, so Black Mirror just dropped on on netflix and you know i think it's a series we all enjoy can you tell me what the next thing that's coming on netflix that you're dying to see is like could you do without it for like three months four months six months probably probably i would like it would be i think uh disenchanted would be one i would come back for yeah stranger things um i you know i could probably skip stranger things it hasn't been like super duper like it's not compelling to me ozark would have been something i would come back for for sure but it's done right um yeah what else what do they put on the do we have like what rings of power no rings of of power is on uh on amazon right yeah i mean that's my point right like there there's there's so much fragmentation that I think the the Lopez calculus is becoming a very logical calculus as far as how to do these things. You you don't need to have them all the time unless you have kids or you are retired or you, you know, are infirmed in some way. You, You don't have enough time for all the services you probably already have. I know I don't. So could you cut it down to like one service 
and just rotate them every couple of months. Yeah, I, I think you, yeah, probably, you probably, probably could. It's honestly what it comes down to is, do you want to be part of the conversation in the moment? Do you want to be able to jump on a podcast or listen to your favorite podcasters? All three of us. Uh, do you want to, you know, be a part of the conversation on social media? Do you want to, you know, be back around the water cooler if you're back in the office? Do you want to have those kinds of moments? Because in a lot of cases, it, you know, even now there's such fragmentation. You know, the number of people I talk to are like, hey, what are you watching? This, this, and this. I've only heard of two of those and I don't know. I haven't watched any of those. What are you watching? This, this, and this. And like, none of those either. Like, there's so much fragmentation in the market right now that even that conversation is kind of dying. So again, what's the urgency? Unless you're doing kind of what we're doing, what's the urgency to have six services that you pay a combined, what, 50 bucks a month for? Yeah, no idea. You just reminded me, that. did you know that the Tour de France is not on Canadian TV this year or not easily accessible? Oh, no. Yeah, well, I watch it every year. (laughs) Do you really? You used to, but... Uh, yeah, we Carol watches it, and it's just like, well, the playoffs end, right? And then what else are you going to watch, like, mindlessly for a month, right? Or two weeks or whatever it is, right? <laughs> uh, one of the six streaming services you subscribe to each month? Yeah, it's not on any of those. Yeah. Huh. I can't can't figure out where it is. Flow Bikes. What's Flow Bikes? Flow Bikes TV. No idea what that is. Anyway, I know it's on in the States, but in Canada it's not. Anyway. Speaking of the Hugo Award, <laughs> which we just were, uh, yeah, oh, so they announced today the uh, nominees for the Hugo Awards. Uh, for those of you who do not know what the Hugo Awards, they are sort of the biggest deal in the world of uh, science fiction fantasy as far as books, films, TVs, uh, and a few other assorted areas. Uh, the awards are going to be held, uh, handed out in October this year. Uh, there was 25,000 different things entered in this. Uh, I will not do all of them, but I thought I'd pull out some of the big ones. So again, they do books, they do all kinds of stuff. Um, I thought I would focus in on the stuff that we are most sort of familiar with. So I wanted to flag the, um, it's interesting the way they do it. So best dramatic presentation short form tends to be primarily television shows best dramatic presentation oh, i thought it was all just i thought they were just, just sci-fi writing i didn't realize it was like movies and stuff it, it is still honoring writing the first credit that they give when they talk about a film and, and things like that is the writer followed by the director but uh yeah so they they break it into best dramatic presentation short form that's mostly tv best dramatic presentation long form which is movies but it also is seasons of tv which i think is really interesting so i'll I'll just rip through these so short form so this is mostly tv so uh this is for specific episodes of tv it's not for an entire run or a series you know in totality it's one episode so uh the andor episode one way out was one of them the andor episode rick's road which was the finale um also nominated separately uh, the Expanse episode, Babylon's Ashes, For All Mankind's Stranger in a Strange Land, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Whose Show Is This, and Stranger Things Chapter 4, Dear Billy. Those were the specific episodes, so that way they can focus in on the writer and the, the, the director of those individual episodes. So, some good stuff in there. Definitely stuff that we've all watched. Yeah. And then for the long form, uh, again, a lot of movies. So, Avatar, The Way of Water. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Nope, Severance Season 1, so that's for the entire season, 
and turning red the uh the pixar um movie so yeah i thought that was really interesting the the way they sort of break that down um I also, they do the same thing for comic books. So it's best graphic story or comic. So this can be a graphic novel or an individual issue. So a lot of these ones are collections of, you know, a five or six a comic book arc that sort of tells a story. Um, but, you know, the Cyberpunk 2077 Big City Dreams. So that's a, a Dark Horse book they put out in conjunction with the video game. The adaptation of Dune. Uh, Monstrous Volume 7, Once in Future Volume 4, Saga Volume 10, and Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, which is apparently what they're going to base the new uh, Supergirl movie that's coming out in the next couple of years on. So, yeah, definitely lots you, of cool stuff. I know you're stuff. dying to know this, but you can get, you can get a super, Superwoman um, Barbie doll right now. Ooh. Well, now you know what to put on my Christmas list. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we'll have the link in the show notes. There's a bunch more categories. If you're way into science fiction fantasy, uh, there's a ton of good stuff in here. And I always like these lists because for me, it just sort of pops into my head. Hey, maybe I should be reading this book or maybe I should uh, check out that show just because uh, this is one of those, uh, you know, in the weeds, nerd fandom things. The, the Hugo Awards are really, uh, yeah, they're, they're really focused on this genre for science fiction fantasy. So there's lots of stuff in there for people who like that stuff. Hmm. That's cool. All right. Are we at that, at that part of the show now? Yes, indeed. All right. Let's, let's get in the shuttle and beam down to, uh, or transport down to the, uh, the surface in our away mission as we talk about Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 4, Among the Lotus Eaters. Hmm. So this, this, yeah, this episode is an away mission one where... They returned to Rigel 7, I believe Rigel 7, right? Rigel 7. Where, where they had a, a, a previous mission where they kind of like had to get out of Dodge real quick because they got attacked by the uh, natives, and uh, apparently they left some tech behind. And not just some tech. So some, some Star Trek tech, <laughs> yes. Hi. And um, yeah, so I mean, so, the, so they have to go and, and clean up their own mess, as, as uh, Christopher Pike puts it, right? Mm-hmm. I made you have a pitch. I figured you guys, somebody would have a, a more real, straightforward one. Uh, I went with "Remember, Remember the Fifth of November" as my my closest uh, thing that I could get. Just to be cheeky. <laughs> okay. Yep. Uh, I had uh, little somewhere in between. I had "Strange New Worlds" goes back to a strange to the strangest one of all, and the original one at that, which we will get mm. into our Easter eggs. Yeah, I I went with Strange Old World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we talked a bit about uh, tropes last week, and and uh, the memory so loss. A couple yeah. of tropes. Well, a couple of tropes in memory loss. Memory that's true. Memory loss is was an, another Star Trek trope, but um, yeah, big one in this one. But I was thinking undercover undercover missions. They always had mm. to put on the uniforms. Like Riker even had his forehead done at one point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Kirk became a Romulan at one point um, so that they could infiltrate uh, and be seen as a native, right? So they do that a lot. The, the, but the big trope on this one was I kept looking at the time as we got closer to the end of the episode thinking, are they going to have a TV continued? But nope, they solved the problem in 40 minutes. It's a patented Jaime Lopez hold my beer episode. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I am. I am. What's her name? Ortega. I fly the ship. Yeah, that's right. I am 
the cast and crew of this show. We will land it before it reaches an hour. Do you know? Do you know who the he- the hero of this episode was? As I was watching, and I was thinking, you know, this is the one thing that the crew of the Enterprise had that the people on the planet didn't have. But the computer. The computer. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The computer would yeah, t- told them who they are. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The... I guess it's like the the container, right? I'll, I'll, I'm going to blow through Pew Pew Pew, which I had the uh, the uh, Christopher Pike one man mission to storm the castle and uh, and defeat the evil uh, the evil High Lord. That I thought was a you know yeah. he just so hell bent on on getting that over. I thought that was really kind of fun. There was some good stuff in there. The the lawn with the sledgehammer was kind of fun too. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I have that as my uh, my pew pew pew. The hammer time with Laon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think this one really it's it's about the Easter egg. So I I wish I could take entire credit for it. It tweaked in my mind. I just kept thinking Rigel Seven. Why, why do I know Rigel Seven? Why do I know Rigel Seven? So I looked it up as soon as the episode was over because I knew I knew it, but I could not place where I knew it from. So I've linked in here this lovely article by the good folks at Inverse, um, who I will give. Fair credit to because they've done an excellent job here. This is an article by uh, Ryan Britt at Inverse. Good job, Ryan. So the reason why we remember Rigel Seven is because they mention it in the original pilot, The Cage, right? And they specifically say in that episode that you know, uh, so in that episode, Leonard Nimoy has a limp. That is referenced in this episode. The mission that they went on where they lost the three crewmen was mentioned in this in the original pilot as, you know, we had a tough time on this mission. We lost our yeoman and Kirk got and Spock got hurt. So they are tying this episode right back into the very beginnings of Star Trek by looping it all together on this mission where, you know, it really it's it. It's right after the, the the original mission that they reference in this episode, where they lost three crewmen and they had a tough time on this planet, and Spock got hurt. That this is supposed to be like them returning to that moment right before the original pilot, which is really neat. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And you know, they don't mention the yeoman by name, but now of course we know that it's it's yeoman Zach. And uh, yeah, that was I thought a really fun way to sort of tell a story again like you don't need to know that you don't need to know that doesn't matter but if you know that and you know that's part of the history like that's the kind of love that we're getting in this series you know what i mean like that's the kind of care that they seem to be really putting into this particular series again you guys know i i don't like prequels i don't like them at all but i love this show (laughs) i love it it's so good Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. it doesn't disrupt it doesn't get in the way of itself but it pays so much love and respect to everything that's come before they just do a masterful job of it yeah and they're keep they keep throwing back because because like even when una says to ortega i flew the ship before you did yeah yeah right? she was actually at the con yeah. in the cage yeah exactly right yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah no perfect just absolutely perfect yeah good show the other Easter egg that I caught was, and I don't know if you guys saw the same thing. So when they they pan across the three faces of the the crewmen that they lost when they originally went to Rigel Seven, they referenced that. And they oh, really? Just, yeah. They pan across yeah. and the, they start from the right and they they cut to the left. So the first person you see, their name is listed as M. Aberth. The one in the middle is listed as C. Plumber, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> which I thought was a lovely <laughs> Easter egg for us, particularly. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. then the one beside that was Zed Wen, and that turns out to be Zach. And so, of course, that's the one we linger on the longest because it's that one comes back around, which is again, it's good, good uh, filmmaking. But yeah, I, I when I saw C Plumber as the middle name, I was like, bless you people, bless you all. My um, Easter egg was the the vague memory of Lotus Eaters and mm-hmm. going into the title, and I had to had to look on the interwebs to see what this was. It's from the Odyssey, Homer's poem, and this was an island of people who all they wanted to do was eat these lotus plants. They lived blissfully, and they didn't want to do anything else, and so that's part of the the struggle is to keep the crew from just consuming the lotus. Uh, and staying there. And that seems pretty applicable here where you've got this mysterious radiation that is causing the people to forget who they are. Uh, they, they retain some basics, but certainly the, the one guy that they encounter, one of the, the field folks, is like, yeah, it's it's fine. It's better to just live blissfully and not have to worry about the pain of you know, remembering people's deaths and stuff. Yep, yep. The other one that I didn't put in here that uh, is, again, straight from this Inverse article, it mentions down near the bottom that uh, as well as tying into the cage, there's actually a little nod to this place in Picard Season 3, where Picard and Riker are talking about a mission that they went on in which their communications were down, right? Do you remember that part of where they were like trying to figure out how to communicate without communicators? And yeah. Riker says. The planet that they were on is Rigel 6, and Picard corrects him and says, actually, 7. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, again, more more ties, and not just ties into the original, but ties into the newest, which is, again, bonkers. Yeah. Well, Rigel 7 is is like, if, if, if you've been watching Star Trek all these many years, it's, it's kind of like, you know, oh yeah, Rigel 7, and there's, there's a whole bunch of planets that they go to a lot in the stories. And yeah, Rigel 7 is obviously one of them. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And so, Rigel Seven. The other thing that that will will tweak in your minds, uh, the Simpsons. For those of okay. you who are Simpsons fans, Rigel Seven is the planet that Kang and Kodos come from. The two aliens that are recurring characters. They've been in a, a slew oh, of really? the Halloween hmm. episodes. They've been in a, in a bunch right. of different ones. They're the two green slimy monsters with the big fangs, and uh, they fly around in their spaceship. Yep. And yeah, Kang and Kodos are from <laughs> Rigel Seven. Nice. Yeah. yeah, of course they are. Yep. And why wouldn't they be? Yep. Um, my big question for this episode was, so uh, Yeoman Zach Wen, uh, mm-hmm. or High Lord Zacharias, depending on w- when you catch him, he is left behind on this mission. He survives. He somehow uses his Star Trek uh, Starfleet equipment that's left behind to take over and has ruled for several years as the, the the high lord of this place, making the people stay outside and forget and, you know, chop wood for him and break rocks for some reason. And um, my question was, what's the punishment? What? So they say, they make a point of saying at the end of the episode, because they have the scene where, where we see Captain Patel come back and that ties in the emotional arc with Pike, where they break up at the beginning and they get back together at the end. Uh, she says, I picked up this prisoner from you, and they're, they're clearly going to take him back for for his, you know, trial or whatever. What's the punishment for uh, breaking the prime taking directive world? that badly, taking over a world, and then doubling down by, like, trying to wipe the minds of the people who come after you? 
yeah. what 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 is an appropriate punishment like is prison enough is uh, like what where's the line on that one well you know what they could do they could do what they did with with uh, uh what's her name michael what's her michael michael burnham yeah they could they could transport him to a penal colony and then promote him to a captain of a, of a starship in in a few years <laughs> well that does sound very starfleet yeah, I think so. You know, redemption, <laughs> right? They're always about. They're all about forgiveness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think. I think. Well, I th- it, it, to me, to me, Prime Order One or or whatever the other name of it is, the Prime Directive, General Order One, is it? Mm-hmm. General Order One. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you would think that's like that's like talking about Fight Club, right? Like, you know, that's got to be like the cardinal sin of the Federation, right? Um, like, I'm sure there's like all kinds of, you know, repercussions. So I, I don't think it's going to go lightly on him. Um, you know, he probably should have let Spike Pike kill him, you know, or shoot him, right? But yeah, no, it's it's interesting. And it's kind of funny because he kind of he kind of whimpers there at the end, right? He's got all this power and, and glory and he just, you know, Pike just walks in and pew-pews his way in, right? So... Yeah, and and they leave him to 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 defend the place himself, sort of thing. Like that doesn't sound like a like a a very smart megalomaniac, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other yeah. questions, Jaime? The only sort of question I have longer term that isn't like catastrophically important. It's really rather minor. But in this episode, Pike, you know, sort of starts committing to some degree at least with uh, captain battelle but we know that they must break up so now my question is how do they break up because that's not who he ends up with you know spoilers for something that was shown in the 60s Wait, what? but we know that yeah. you know his fate is different yeah yeah hmm interesting which brings us to our great our great quotes right everyone deserves joy well, in wait, their wait, life. wait wait before i have a question i have a question okay so 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 when he comes, when he finally beats what's his name, and he goes and pulls the the, the bear skin off of the box, yeah, all of the stuff that that was left behind in that little footlocker is in pristine condition and like not you know distributed throughout the planet and dissected, and it's all just like the medical equipment is all just sitting there waiting to be used, right? So, like, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess the idea is that uh, Zacharias is not a noble king. He's, he's uh, you know, keeping it all for himself in case something goes wrong with him, right? I guess, maybe, maybe, yeah. I suppose, yeah, that's true. But it was also like those other tech there, it was a tricorder and... Yeah. The, the real question is, why is it just in a box in the middle of the throne room? Like, doesn't he have a bedroom or something? A safe? Nothing? <laughs> no? Was that the first time we've seen, like, an original series-style tricorder? I think it is, right? Yeah, maybe, because, yeah, because they have a different one now. Yeah, because all the way, well, no, I mean in, in this show, because in this show, this is the prequel to the to the original series, right? Mm-hmm. And every single episode that they went on, they, they had that little, everybody would have a tricorder with them, and the doctor would have the little sort of, you know, cigarette lighter that he would, like, hover over you and... Mm-hmm figure out what was wrong with you stuff like that and the hypodermic needles that they used to have that was all over the first series right so yeah as well as the phaser weapons and stuff like that right yep all right well now i'm gonna do now i'm gonna do the quote all right fine. <laughs> everyone deserves joy in their life even a captain that was from una and that obviously is the big arc of this episode uh when Uhura, they're trying to figure out if she's contracted some sort of viral or bacterial infection that's affecting her memory 
and then they realize it's happening to other people. She says it's definitely not the oatmeal. That that was uh, a good one. What'd you eat for breakfast? Yeah. 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 Uh, Ortegas, when she's lost her memory and she's in her quarters and uh, is trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, she says, stop the rocks. Stop the rocks. Uh, But the quote of the episode is definitely, I'm Erica Ortegas. I fly the ship. I feel like we didn't talk enough about the Erica Ortegas of it all because it was kind of as much as it was pike's episode it was also kind of her episode right this is the first time we've kind of centered in on the the ortegas character um this season she hasn't really got a lot of play it's it's her log and she's talking about how she gets to go away on this this away mission and then she gets to put the the plug pulled out from a rug pulled out from under her feet because she has to go and fly navigate through the rocks right and um well, that was another trope too. That that the the A shift is always on duty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like like, there's only one pilot in the entire Federation that can fly this ship through these these stones, right? Yeah, and that's her. Well, you so know, she so can't go on the away mission. Not everybody can yeah. thread the needle like uh, Erica Ortegas. That's true. She's got to thread the needle. That's right. But yeah, no, I think it's I think it's definitely important to give a shout out. Melissa Navia obviously is the the actor who plays uh, Ortegas, and she was good. She was really fun in this episode. She had a lot of range. She was definitely you know she was convincing as you know cocky as she often is. That sort of you know that swagger that she carries around. But then you know she flipped it on to like the confused and the scared, and then you know finding her gumption again. And yeah, she was really good. Mm-hmm. And there was some some uh, interesting quotes from Spock to the. I believe you can. Kind of. <laughs> that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. That's him being, uh, yeah. Uh, it's the part where he's like, this is not time for emotion. And he's like, <laughs> like, okay, never mind. Yeah. 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 And also the, the, when he, when he tells her about the, the, the rocks or whatever, he says like, you know, I didn't create the data, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Cause she's, she's mm-hmm. all, she's like, you, you got to learn when not to say something, you know? Yeah. Well, poor, Poor Erica is supposed to be going on her first away mission, gets all geared up, and then gets left on the transporter. Uh, Including the transporter. wearing the hat. She's wearing, She's the, wearing hat. the hat. Yeah. yeah. I wonder, though, because they make a point of saying that it's the helmets that the that the uh, warrior cast in on the planet. That's what prevents them from losing their memories, right? I wonder if her hat had any of that uh, ore in it or whatever, because she says it's all about the hat, right? Right. She, oh, that's true. It was a, a giveaway, right? Yeah. Like, would she have, if she'd hmm. gone on the mission, would she have been like, what's wrong with you guys? My hat is bombing and I'm fine. Yeah. I like the Benga part of this too. Like there's, I, I feel like that's got to be building to a crescendo over the course of the season. Cause we've had Mbenga being like off, you know, we saw him obviously, you know, going, you know, steroid rage a couple episodes ago. And we've definitely seen him, uh, struggling, struggling through this season. Clearly not quite, you know, obviously last year he had a pretty complex arc with his daughter and all that stuff. But this year he's clearly having a tough time with sort of his violent past versus his his medical self and stuff like that. I, I, it's got it. There's got to be a full Benga episode somewhere in, in this season. I hope there is because he's, he's a great actor and it's it's been a lot of fun to sort of follow along with him. I wonder what the swipe. I wonder what the swipe under his eyes about because he's done that a couple yeah. times in the show, and it's sort of a signal between him and and this one on, right? So yeah, but it's it's the same thing he did with the chapel a couple episodes, two two three episodes. Back, yes, right? right. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, there's a story there for sure. Yes, we're gonna find out. I'm sure at some point in the future. So yes, on to Secret Invasion Man. Mm-hmm. 
halfway through. This is the third of six episodes. We are now halfway through Secret Invasion. Uh, my elevator pitch. Nick Fury goes into the revenge business, and business is booming. I could tell I was in a bit of a mood. I went with, keep my daughter's name out of your damn mouth. <laughs> <laughs> What's that in reference to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. This was a weird episode. It was uh, in a, a weird, weird episode in a continuing series of weird episodes in a continuing kind of... I don't know. Somewhat, I'm I'm just because somewhat disappointing. Somewhat disappointing series. I like the ingredients are incredible in this show, and it's still it's not it's not Andor. It sure as hell is not Andor. Uh, as far as sort of spy thrillers go, um, it's it's kind of you know. And again, like there's moments like you know there's been moments where Sam Jackson is great. There's tons of moments where Ben Mendelsohn's great. The Olivia Coleman has been great. Like, there's so many, like, little moments and performances. Um, but, uh, yeah, some of its parts. Not it kind, it kind of became an exposition episode in the middle there, right? Like, you yeah, know, when, when yeah. the two of them are sitting in the car just having a chat, like, you know. Mind you. All the world's cold. That's what I had as my best pew pew pew. I thought that the, the, the scene where we had Ben Mendelsohn as Talos and and, and uh, Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury going toe-to-toe about, like, their version of events back and forth was great. I thought that was great. Like, that, the tension, the, the way they're pushing each other, but being careful not to push too far because they do really like each other and they do respect each other, but they're also mad at each other. I thought that was really, really well acted You're by those You're talking about two. the scene in the bar or the scene in the car? The scene in the car. The scene of oh, the car. Okay. I mean, it, and it, 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 it oh, you're right. It, it ends really, that whole conversation really doesn't end until the bar. But the, the two of them are like the, the, the acting chemistry between the two of them is crackling. Like they're really good together. They really seem to bring it out in each other. And like the way, again, the way that they're balancing the like friendship with the frustration and the anger that they're feeling, they both feel betrayed. They both feel scared. They're both, you know, like that is a high watermark for the show for sure. But the slow burn of the the plot and just the complexity of the plot is a lot. I mean, did you have a different pew pew pew? No, I had mine as uh, you know, Zachary and the UN plane being yeah. saved by the bell. I tried to make a really tortured thing. I couldn't. I couldn't stick the landing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you nailed your elevator pitch. You gotta. You gotta take your wins, man. Take your wins. <laughs> Um, for the Easter egg hunt, uh, there's a couple of good ones. So, you know, last episode we talked about how it looked like they were, you know, aiming to make super scrolls. They actually say the words super scrolls in this episode. Uh, and, uh, when Talos and Gravik are meeting in the, uh, in the art gallery and Talos puts the knife through his hand and we see... Uh, Gravik pull his hand back, and then we see his hand go extremis, right? We see him using the extremis power, the healing power, right? That's mm-hmm. that's from right. Iron Man 3. That's definitely... So he is already a Super scroll in, in that way. We don't know if he has any of the other abilities or what his sort of deal is. I wonder in this, in this very kind of grounded, maybe too grounded Marvel show, I wonder if we are going to finally get a little, uh, you know, super being kind of thing as it builds to a crescendo or or is this just always destined to be sort of 
a very grounded series. But the fact that he now has powers on top of being able to shape change definitely means we could see something interesting. The other Easter egg that I caught was at one point uh, they mentioned Drakov uh, when uh, it's the beginning of the episode when Fury goes into the cafe in New York City and he meets up with uh, uh, Priscilla, who's eventually his wife. Um, and they're talking about, you know, uh, the mission she just went on and she, she mentions Drakov. Drakov is the big bad guy from Black Widow. He's the guy who lives in the city in the sky. He's the Russian guy who has the, the red room and trains the Black Widows and does all that. So again, tying, tying all of this history back together. Cause again, in this time frame too, you also have to think this, I think it was 1997 does it say i think at the beginning i think i read my notes here yeah 98 it says nyc 1998 nyc 1998 after the dracov mission that could be lining up with when um you know maybe fury out of this recruits a young black widow or you know what i mean like that that could be an allusion to a bigger easter egg in there somewhere right i'm any other easter eggs no, I think the Super Scrolls is the only one that I saw, and and the extremists, um, you know, burning thing. Yeah, yeah. The big questions. So, uh, if you're a scroll and you live a long time, why would you age yourself when you're in disguise? I mean, I guess if you're establishing a long time alias or whatever, you could age yourself so that people don't get on to the fact that you don't age, and therefore you must be an alien. But if she's just, like, hanging around their house somewhere, when she changes back, why wouldn't she just change back into, like, the hottest, youngest version of herself? Yeah, then how much energy does it take to maintain that that uh, transformation, right? Because, I mean, like, why would she, con- like, why wouldn't she just, like, be a scrawl when the doors are closed and the windows are, you know, shutters are closed, right? Yeah, and I get the impression she does, she does at the end of the episode, she switches back, she hears somebody coming in and realizes it's Nick, but I get the impression that, uh, yeah, when nobody else is around, she doesn't bother, right? Yeah, and the other thing, too, she does answer the question about him going to space and leaving her on the ground, right? So that was kind of an interest, interesting ex- interchange between the two of them, because, yeah, you kind of wonder, like, like I don't know, awfully convenient to be able to go off to space for however long he was there and then just waltz back in and, you know, have her accept him, right? But I guess that's the nature of the relationship. I guess like the two captains on Star Trek, they just they just accept it. That's part of it, right? And the other question that I had was the, which I think I know the answer to, which is, was that uh, Rhodes on the phone at the end? He is listed in the credits, so I'm going to say yes, that was Don Cheadle on the phone at the end with uh, with Priscilla, and she's got the, the gun in her hand. The question is, is that Scroll Rhodes or is that Rhodes? Is she working, you know, with the bad guys? Is she actually secretly working with, you know, Rhodes on something else? I, I've I vacillated. First episode, I was convinced Rhodes was a Scroll. Second episode, when he told the joke about carpet bombing, I was like, oh, well, that sounds like some kind of sardonic wit that, that Rhodey would have. So I thought, oh, no, it's probably actually Rhodey. And now I'm not sure again. So I guess that's what the whole series is supposed to be doing, is making you guess and make you feel sort of off kilter. But uh, what do you guys think? Do you think that was, think she's part of the conspiracy? and Or is this a red herring? Well, I, I do, I do like the the theory of him being somehow involved because he's too big a star to not have, you know, a story in that sense, right? Um, but 
Yeah, I don't. It's it's an odd sort of thing with her because I mean she has this previous relationship with the the young dude, um, Gravik, Gravik, right? Yeah, yeah, because she was sort of his, and maybe it maybe Gravik versus Fury is kind of a re- revenge thing because you know maybe Gravik sees Fury as having taken her away from him, right? So mm. as a young boy, right? Maybe she was actually because they do meet in the beginning of the episode, or I guess in the prequel or the the setup, right? Yeah. Questions, Jaime? Yeah, my my question was about uh, Fury's wife. Is she going all born identity? That's kind of what it sort of yeah. felt like with the gun being in the the safe deposit box. But why do you keep a gun in your safe deposit box? Well, isn't that like, the doesn't like that's the joke about uh, guns for home safety, right? They're like, well, I'm a responsible gun owner. I keep my gun in a in a safe and I keep the bullets in a separate location and they're like, you know, yeah. And somebody starts breaking in your door. You're like, you wait right there. I'm going to go and unlock my safe. And then I'm going to go over here. I'm going to get the bullets. You just wait right there. I have to go to the bank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In this case. Yeah. Like I'm warning you, I'm armed. I just got to pop over to the bank first. Is it a special gun or something like with special bullets in it or something? Or was it used in a murder and she's trying to hide it? Yeah, again, you'd think if you you are married to Nick Fury and you live in a house with Nick Fury, don't you just pull like a lampshade over and something opens up and the wall reveals like an an armory (laughs) of some kind? Like, you're married to the world's most famous spy. Like, come on. He doesn't leave guns lying around. I assume there's like at least 100 guns in that house. Yeah, maybe. Well, it's not his house. Uh, Yeah, I guess. I guess. Well, it is England, so maybe no guns. Who knows? Yeah, he went to space after all. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's true. Well, then laser guns. Come on. All right, best quotes. And what did they say? Yes, yes. the quotes. Um, I thought there was a strangely poignant one from like a not big character. Was this line from Dalton, the sort of second slash third in command for Gravik at the beginning? He's talking to the uh, to uh, Beto, the the young man we met at the beginning, and he says. All faith is built on risk, so that's what we have to take. I thought that was a great line um, <laughs> from Priscilla when they're arguing. Darling, you are Nick Fury. I have never harbored any illusions about the necessity of you going away, but staying away, that leaves a mark. That was a great line. She's really nailed that one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I never cared much for golf, so I'm thinking I may take up revenge. That was Fury. <laughs> yeah. That was my uh, that was my quote. <laughs> yeah, this is a great one. Uh, use your words from from Talos. That was pretty funny. Um, and the truth's a mother dog, right? From Fury again. Great play to put. You know, that's what happens when you put uh, Sam Jackson on a Disney Plus series. You, you know, truth's a mother dog, right? Um, and my favorite line from the whole thing was, "Nobody calls me Nick Bob." He's being when. Uh, he knows yeah, when the gunpoint. Yep, yeah. Yeah. When he knows to go in and bring the kid in as the hostage. Cause, cause the guy used the wrong name. Yeah. That was great. Um, any, any belief that our, uh, beloved, uh, Gaia is, is actually dead after being exposed as the traitor and, uh, and shot in the chest at the end of the episode, she's, she's lying very still and there's a hole, uh, appearing in her chest. But do we know, is that does, is, you know, well, is she a super scroll? If she is, then she could just spit the bullet out, right? Well, that's the question, I guess. Like, we've already seen that he has the extremist powers. Do you think maybe she just, like, popped into the machine and gave herself the powers, and the next episode we just see a bullet, like, fall out of her chest and she gets up? Yeah, don't know. She is a big star. It seems strange to is have somebody of her uh, Calibre, stature yeah. Yeah. in for half of a series, especially when the arc is really, t- you know, trying to 
heal the rift between her and Talos, it would be weird not to have the catharsis of finishing that. Yeah. Well, plus, whenever I see something like this, like like Olivia Coleman, I would expect to see her in future series, right? Hmm. Like, why bring someone into the into the universe and then just have like like why why would they do that with with um oh what's her name um Amelia Clark and then have her you know lead the show after three episodes? Spoilers if you haven't been watching the show, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, seems... I immediately, you'll see it in my notes here, I, I immediately wrote down fake, <laughs> like fake death. It yeah, just doesn't make that. sense. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, this is the problem yeah. we talk about all the time, like, you know, my brain dissecting Hollywood plots. But again, it doesn't make sense to kill a major star there unless you're going for the shock value. And it wasn't really shocking because we kind of saw that that's what Gravik was doing to her all episode. So it wasn't like, Oh my God, he's onto her. Like it was like, well, yeah, of course he, of course he's onto her. Like when she got on the motorcycle, she creeps out and there's like no guard there. And she sneaks out and she hops on the motorbike. Did anyone honestly think she was getting away? Like there's no way. No, no. Yeah. Like it, it played definitely. out exactly as I thought it would play out. I don't know that I saw him shooting her in the chest, but I definitely knew that her cover was blown and something was going to go off the rails there. But uh, yeah. Yeah. It was too easy. Yep. Too easy for her to escape. Yep. Especially since there were no guards in the in the guard booth, like you mentioned, right? So when she's sneaking her bike out, yep. Well, let's tune in next week and find out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right, let's move to our watch list, if that's okay with you guys. Mm-hmm. Speaking of not being able to tune in next week, so my first thing up this week was it was uh, the Black Mirror season six. Um, I you know I got curious about. This this first episode, that everybody was talking about quitting their Netflix is over. Um, but surprisingly, like again, my big complaint about Netflix is is I've gotten used to the idea that I'll watch a show, then I have to wait, you know, digest it for a week, and then get the next episode. Whereas Black Mirror, all five episodes dropped. Again, five is an odd number. I mean, odd number, and it's a strange number to have of in terms of a season because it kind of went real quick. Um, some really interesting episodes this time. Did you guys watch any of it, or have you watched the Mirror, Black Mirror yet? I have I've watched not. a few episodes of it. I don't think I've seen everything yet. Okay, yeah, it was like it's it's kind of yeah. I took maybe over two two days or two and a half days. I I watched them um, over the long weekend, right? But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. But it, but it's it's odd. Like I know they they had like the one offs. They had the Christmas one and they had the Bandersnatch one. And for some reason, Netflix has forgotten that I watched them before because it started playing the um, the one with Bryce Dallas Howard again. The one about um, you know getting so many likes where she has to go to the, her friend's wedding and stuff um, and starts to lose all her her uh, her Insta points or whatever. Um, which is really still a, a good episode to watch again, even after all these years. But some interesting. Episode. Speaking of Hugo Award winners, uh, the the one the one uh, character in the middle series who kept reading the books, you know, she was reading um, a bunch of Hugo Award winning. Um, the Heinlein book she was reading was a Hugo Award winner. Um, the Moon is a Harsh Mistress, right? So I don't know if you guys. Yeah, anyway, Black Mirror season six, definitely watch it. The other one is I went and saw Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny on the weekend. Um, I saw it in IMAX, but I sat way back at the back of the theater, so I might as well just watched it in regular, but not have paid as much money. Um, I enjoyed it. It was it was really good. I mean, it's not it's not as I mean, Crystal Skull is is you know there are lots of gag points, right? Um, whereas this, I found this one entertaining, uh, kind of like you know the the odd numbers are the better episodes, kind of like one, three, and 
five in this case. Because um, I, I, to be honest with you, I'm not really a big fan of the second uh, Indiana Jones. The, nope. Which one is that one? Temple of Doom. No, uh, no of chilled Doom, monkey yeah. brains for you? Well, no, it wasn't so much of a chill monkey brains. It's just sort of, I mean, well, there's that cool series in the se- in the middle there where they tried to, because everything was done in practical effects back then, and they had that sort of little, uh, the, the coal mine scene where they whipping through the coal mines. Yeah. That was kind of cool the way they had to do that at the time, but yeah, it doesn't, I don't think that holds up in uh, as much as, as, as good as it could. Um, there's lots of, uh, this movie reminded me, I hate to say it a lot, like sort of the Mission Impossible um, car chases, you, there's an impossible char character car chases you get in the you know the strange locations like Morocco and things like that. I, I found the story was was interesting. It'd be interesting to see what you think about it when you eventually get around to watching it, John. But yeah, definitely, I definitely enjoyed it, and I do recommend that people go see it in the theater. And yet, and me. yet, that doesn't seem to be working out. Yeah, no, as we said at the top of the show. Well, I mean, like it's gotten the like. The problem is it's gotten lukewarm press, right? Like some people like it, some people don't. And they, and the problem is as soon as anybody has anything negative to say about a show, people will just stay home, you know? Well, and I, again, it's, we talk about, I think all three of us love the movie going experience. We love to see things on the big screen. We like the, you know, uh, the part that I kind of am always a little torn about now is I don't like to go to a crowded theater, but then there's something yeah. that's very nice about going to a crowded theater where you're immersed in it together, the laughs, the, the oohs and ahs, the, you know, those moments are, are what unite us. Right. And, and, you know, and it's not cheap to go to a movies nowadays. And so, you know, I get why people are like voting with their dollars. We talked about how that's how it should be. Right. If you don't like the product, don't spend your money on it and they will stop doing those things because it's all about making money, you know? So well, that said, I was, that was, that said it was kind of, it wasn't a super crowded theater. There was, there was a lot of people in there, which is why I ended up sitting in the back row, but um, there was no engagement from the audience. There was, I don't think there, I don't recall there being any super, super funny moment where we all guffawed at the same time. That said, when a couple of uh, a month ago, I went and saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and I talked to the people in in the theater. They were Everybody was like glad to be there and talking about it. And, you know, when did you see it? Have you ever seen it? Blah, blah, blah. Same thing with when I watched um, uh, the Star Wars one. Um, what was that one called? Return of the Jedi, right? Um, people in the audience were actually talking to each other about, you know, can't wait to see this. And then afterwards, you know, people st- stuck around for the titles. But yeah, this one was like, you, you wouldn't even know that there was anybody else in the theater other than, you know, some munching of popcorn and that kind of stuff. But. It was an, it was strange experience, but you know, but mind you, I went on a, like a, a middle of the afternoon matinee kind of thing, right? So, yeah, but yeah, it was a slow weekend for movies. I think you know, there's there's definitely a case to be made that you know, instead of looking backwards, maybe it's time to look more forwards, right? Like maybe that's the there problem. Actually, yeah. Speaking of speaking of looking backwards, there is one really interesting thing about this one from a technical point of view, and that is. It tells the story in three different time periods, right? So it goes back to the th- the 30s, or, or I guess 30s or 40s, whenever. Um, oh, I guess it would it would be 45, I guess, when Hitler was in hiding. Um, 44. At the beginning of the... Uh, sorry? 44. 44? Yeah, at the beginning of the movie. And then they go back to when Phoebe Waller... And I think Indiana Jones takes place... Uh, I, f- I think it was... You know, 1969 is when it takes place in this one, because... The astronauts are in New York City for the parade, so that would that would have been just after probably summer of sixty nine, 
That's the middle part of the movie. And then there's a, a flashback scene where they go back uh, 10 years earlier, right? And so they have to de-age in, uh, Harrison Ford and Matt's, Matt's what's his name? Matt Mickelson. Matt Mickelson, yeah. They de-age him and Toby Jones, right? Because all three of those are now older older men, and they all they get de-aged. And I got to tell you, like, I looked at this, like, because I was thinking about this, what you were saying at the very beginning, because the very first part of the movie is you see Indiana Jones in, in Nazi uniform, and he, or in, in German uniform, and he's trying to infiltrate um, the the uh, the army right to get hold of this artifact right and um you know as he's speaking i'm thinking okay this is harrison ford doing the dialogue right so i'm expecting to hear the grumpy old guy that he is now right uh saying the lines but they actually i don't know if it was him or they they did something about de-aging his voice too but he actually sounded like the guy you saw doing the movie in the 80s and he looked like the guy in the eighties, like from like it wasn't like that, you know, um, Rogue One where they they had the sort of you know uh, Grand Moff Tarkin and um, and uh, Princess Leia, which were just you know complete simulacrum. Select what's the word? Simulacrum. Thank you. Those they, they weren't fakes. You know, they weren't like completely CGI. So he was the aged, and um, whether it was him acting or they had a body double or whatever, but it really worked. Right. It really worked really well when they when they had those scenes just from a technical point of view. So like that was that was plausible. Right. And and amazing. I just kept looking at his face, kind of find a flaw, but I couldn't, you know. Well, that's good, because that was definitely an area I was concerned about, obviously, whether yeah. or not uh, Mr. Ford at 80 could still capture the magic, but also just whether or not it would be a CGI fest, just given that it's awfully hard to have an 80 year old person. And, you know, have them in the movie as an action star when they clearly can't do everything they once could, right? Not to impugn him well, at I mean, his people, age, but... They've, people have complained about the, the Luke Skywalker in, in The Mandalorian that, that he didn't look authentic, mm. even though it was Mark Hamill's voice and another body double, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. No, it was, I mean, enjoyable movie. It was money, money well spent. Uh, well, on the weekend, instead of seeing Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, like everybody else at the movie theater that I went to, uh, my wife and I went to go see Asteroid City, the new Wes Anderson film. Uh, we had a lovely little date mm-hmm. night and sat and watched a very weird movie. Um, not that all Wes Anderson movies aren't inherently weird just because he is weird, but this one in particular was, was definitely... Out on the outer edges a little more than than some of his stuff, although, as my wife pointed out uh, very wisely, the the French Dispatch, which I don't know if you two have, have watched, I have, it, yeah. is, yep. it's a good movie, but it's not exactly uh, um, linear. It's, it's a little out there, too. Um, there's weird, and then there's like, you know, Wes Anderson weird. Basic premise, of course, is that uh, you know, a group of, of different people from different circumstances end up in this little town where... Uh, there's supposed to be these, you know, uh, the kids are there for this event and then car person's car breaks down. There's all these different things that happen that bring all these people to this little town where they have, uh, uh, an encounter of the third kind and just sort of, you know, have these kind of, uh, you know, moments. It's at times quite funny. It's at times quite sweet. Um, it's loaded. Like there are so many people, famous people in this and, and just, Beyond the famous, beyond the Scarlett Johansson's and the Tom Hanks and the the Brian Cranston's, 
There's also, uh, you know, just a ton of the that guys. I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy. I've seen that guy in things. There's so many of the that guys in there. Um, it's 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 a really good movie. I would highly recommend it, and I'd highly recommend seeing it on the on the big screen just because, you know, I don't know. He's everybody's cup of tea, but Wes Anderson makes interesting looking movies. His his attention yeah, he's, to detail, he's like Terry Gilliam, is always yes, something to look at. Yes, yeah. like and then yeah. my wife said the exact thing coming out of the theater was, I feel like I need to watch that at least two more times. There's you're you know when you're first watching a movie, you're often kind of trying to digest the dialogue and follow the plot and enjoy the spectacle for the spectacle. But there's so much happening in, in Anderson's films where, you know, there's just there's so much detail. There's so many little nuances, like the labels on things, the, the stuff in the background. It's the set that they use for Asteroid City. They built a little city. And apparently uh, I saw a little behind the scenes thing last week. And uh, apparently the, the little cabins that they're staying in in Asteroid City was actually where they put the actors. That was their trailers as well. Um, but it's, again, it's just, it's so quintessentially Wes Anderson. It's, it's all these little details, the colors, the symmetry, it's all the stuff that if you're a fan, you'll, you'll really enjoy it. If you're not a fan of Wes Anderson's weirdness, I imagine you probably would not enjoy this movie. It's, it is a little all over the place. Uh, there's a lot of characters, so it gets a little overloaded at times. There's sort of, you know, a bunch of sort of concurrent plots that, that can get a little thick. But if you are a fan, I mean, Jason Schwartzman is essentially the star, uh, and he's mm -hmm. great. Um, he's having a, I was thinking about this, he's having a heck of a summer because he was the spot in, uh, in, uh, the, the new Spider-Verse movie. He plays the spot, the, the sort of main, more or less villain in, in that movie. And now he's the star of this one. So yeah, good, good run for Jason Schwartzman coming back. But, um, yeah, Scarlett Johansson's uh, in it, and I don't think I've seen her in a Wes Anderson movie before, and she's really good. You forget sometimes, because she's been sort of now subsumed by being Black Widow for so long in the MCU, but, you know, then you look back to Lost in Translation or Ghost World or some of her earlier works, and you remember, oh yeah, she's actually a hell of a good actor, and she's really good in this. She's really uh, captivating as this sort of... Uh, starlet uh who is you know finding herself in this strange place and yeah there's there's a lot to like about this movie i would definitely say it's worth a watch i could understand if people want to wait and watch it at home uh and and there's definitely big pluses to that because it is like most andersons it's going to need uh multiple watches but uh if you if you get a chance if you're looking for something to do on a rainy summer summer day uh it's well worth seeing on a big screen yeah, most of his movies, I, you know, like if they're on or if I happen to happen upon them, I'll, I'll sit down and watch them for a bit, too. They're always pretty, pretty compelling movies, right? So Yeah, they just loaded a bunch of them onto um, Disney Plus here in Canada. So, yeah. And, oh, really? Yeah. They're also on Crave as well. I, I saw, yeah, I saw a few of them on Crave as well. I don't know if it's all the same things, but yeah, it's nice, nice to see. Not the whole catalog, like I think Royal Tannenbaums. I didn't see Grand Budapest Hotel on Crave, but I did see... Moon Knight Kingdom, uh, the one you just mentioned, French Dispatch. Yeah. Sometimes they, it's the early stuff. It's Bottle Rocket. It's Rushmore. It's the early stuff that sometimes gets yeah. left behind. But uh, yeah, I have the, the Criterion Blu-rays of oh, almost all of them. I don't have the last few. I don't have the French Dispatch, and I don't think I have um, a couple of them, but I have, I have most of his catalog on the, the Criterions. Hmm. Cool. What you got there, Jaime? 
I have uh, American Born Chinese, a series on Disney+. Plus. It's pretty breezy. It's eight episodes. They're like half an hour each, I think, so it's pretty easy to binge. This one is uh, interesting in that it has, uh, one, <laughs> it has two, two? At least two Academy Award winners in it. Uh, let me think of that. It has Ki Kwan and it has Michelle Yeoh. So this uh, this feels like it has to be a, a one and done series because there's no way Disney can afford both of those folks for uh, a season two. Uh, should they decide to do that, the basic idea is to take a uh, Taiwanese American kid. Uh, he's a bit of a fish out of water in terms of how he feels about his, you know, his, his place in the world. And it gets even crazier when the son of the Monkey King, uh, the Monkey King Sun Wukong, uh, you know, comes into play. And it's got a lot of sort of the mythical characters from the Journey to the West mythology, if you're even remotely familiar with Sun Wukong or the Japanese name Son Goku. So Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z fans should kind of recognize that uh, sort of imagery, if nothing else. Um, it has sort of two layers. It has the sort of high schooler gets swept up in, you know, becoming a hero, a reluctant hero kind of thing with, you know, magic and sorcery surrounding him. But then it also has this sort of other plot thread line with uh, Kihi Kwan's character who plays uh, an actor who was a, uh, you know, like the Steve Urkel kind of character on uh, a 90s TV sitcom in universe. And it was mm -hmm. a really sort of terrible, uh, stereotypical Chinese kind of character that he was playing. So there's a bunch of different levels in this that are pretty interesting. From a end-to-end -end plot line, it's fairly sort of even paced all the way through. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it gets especially high. I wouldn't say it gets especially low. So it's like probably more like B minus C plus material. Uh, so I'm not saying it's a must watch, but I did think it was an interesting watch. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned the the stardom. I I, I saw this and I, I have have it on my watch list on Disney Plus because uh, I have read I read the book years ago when it came out. Uh, it's a graphic novel. And I thought, oh, yeah, I didn't want to watch this. And I saw the, the cast list and I was like, oh, great cast. But it really is like if you take the casts of everything everywhere all at once and turning red, you basically have the entire cast of this. And it makes me think, one, I mean, great, great that we're making more Asian led, Asian produced material for the cinemas, but also says to me, maybe we need to like hire more different people as well. I mean, those are incredibly talented actors, but like. The fact that we had these two stories centered around, you know, the Asian American experience, and it's like that we have to hire the same people because there aren't any other people. It kind of has that because I, I mentioned I had to really think about it. I was like, well, Stephanie Hsu is basically like the reunion show for everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, it's like it's only it's only missing spoilers. It's only missing Jamie Lee Curtis, I guess, as uh, as far as main people go. Um, I don't think I don't think Stephanie Hsu won. She was nominated for. She was nominated because that's the one that uh, that Jamie Lee Curtis won that category. Right, right. So it's 
it, it is kind of one of a weird thing of like, is it is it weird timing that like this crew you know, got together? Uh, is it because Hollywood only has the uh, the very tiny pocketbook of Asian actors that it can go for, rather than the you know Blu-ray double density you know encyclopedia volumes worth of other actors that they call for other roles when they're thinking outside uh, of a particular set of genre folks. I, I don't know. And I feel like watching this for the Kihi Kwan plotline is maybe worth it if you're not jazzed about the, uh, yeah, the teenager getting into, uh, you know, mythological hijinks. Well, cool. I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter. And Instagram yeah. and threads as Ooh. at JPK News. And you nice. can also find me on uh, YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash at JPK. And how about you, Jaime? People in touch with you, where will they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev the Hair. For now, Jaime, for now. <laughs> yeah. That's it? People have sometimes asked and like, you know, uh, I, I sometimes respond to them with the gif of uh, Captain Jack Sparrow from like the opening part of the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie where he's like you know slowly heading towards the shore as the ship is sinking <laughs> he just walks off like I feel like that's going to be my journey with Twitter as I'm like you know going to be the last one to walk off as it goes into the water yep okay well, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine and the Mastodon machine. And I'm also Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on bluesky.social and also on threads. So, till next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. This is John Luke Picard. Shut up, Wesley. Sorry, say again. Just the tag. Gotcha. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash Spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Yeah, I just uh, was going to ask. I, I didn't know if you guys were the uh, the, the early adopters in, in the in crowd already. Yeah. this When did it come out? Just like today? Yep. Recently? This morning. Well, I mean, late last night, oh, really. Yeah, it's got oh, 30 million some users yep. already, which yep. is pretty, pretty bananas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we I was already on with my social team this morning at work being like, well... How quickly do we yeah. recommend we switch over to here? <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, we've been having this discussion about uh, about Twitter for 
months now, obviously, since since the purchase and trying to figure out, well, we've got 30,000 plus followers on here uh, for our organization. We don't want to just throw those out. But if people start running for the hills, when when do you yeah. when do you look for a lifeline? And uh, yeah, credit to the folks at uh, Meta who were like, oh, did you want an app like this? And yeah. trotted this out. However, it still won't cover Canadian news stories, right? Nope. Although, I don't know if you followed that news today as well, but uh, the Canadian federal government cancelled all of its spending with uh, Meta as a, this morning. Uh, pulled $11 million worth of spending uh, annually out of... The Canadian government? Yep. Yeah, but, but this is a, it's a drop in the bucket to them, right? It's true, but... That was the process they went through a few years back when they did this exact same song and dance with Australia. So it's mm-hmm. playing out the way you'd expect. They're posturing, they're threatening they're threatening each other. Eventually, you'd hope that they would figure out a way that Facebook and Meta at large will, uh, at least in some part, compensate Canadian publishers for stealing their intellectual property, which is what they've been doing for a decade and a half. Yeah. You know, thinking about scale here, right, uh, for, like, threads, so 30 million in the first, you know, 24 hours of it being available, um, and not available in the European Union for, I don't know, it doesn't comply with some privacy regulations. I don't know if it's GDR-specific or some other thing, so uh, it hasn't opened up to the world yet, and it's kind of interesting that we, as a community, talk about Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as if they're even remotely the same tier. Um, oh, no. I mean, it, it, if you look at yeah, monthly no, active they're, users, they're right, let's just let's just step downward. So Facebook is the king at like, you know, 2.9 billion. So yeah. it's you know, nearly 3 billion with a B. Instagram, when I Google searched, it hits like somewhere between one to one and a half billion uh, monthly active users. And then you step down an entire order of magnitude to Twitter, which has 350-some million with an M users. This is... It's weird that, like, these aren't even in the same class of apps. And that was before things got nutty, you know, in the new regime uh, with Elon Musk. So I would not be surprised to see at least threads start equaling that because i'm like oh they only have to to you know he says with scare quotes he, they only have to 10x the number of users that they've got to reach what twitter has uh has built up since you know uh, nearly uh, how old is twitter like 15 to 20 years now so um if it gets to you know about half of what instagram has well if you say instagram has two billion it'll have a billion it's an order of magnitude bigger than twitter uh, for threads if it is twitter has uh, sorry if instagram has one billion then this will reach 500 million which again is you know like 50 percent larger than twitter like it, it it's like comparing i don't know Walmart in like the corner mom and pop shop. <laughs> like they're not even in the same class. Why do we talk about I do this as well. I don't deny that I that I you know am 
anything other than uh, capable, uh, culpable for, for thinking about it this way. But I really sat and thought about what those numbers mean of 30 million in the first 24 hours. I'm like, Twitter has never been in the same class. It's never been in the same tier as Facebook or Instagram. And yet it has an oversized uh, sort of spot in the whole mainstream discussion of what's going on. Certainly we talk a lot about Twitter. We, we link to Twitter a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's... As far as strategy goes, I'd be curious. The part that I'm sort of waiting to see is the dissection of the algorithms, right? How are they doing this? What are they showing you? What are they not showing you? Are they following the Twitter model of here's the fire hose and you get everything, which is what I think a lot of people's number one complaint about Meta is right now is that whether it's Instagram or it's Facebook, they have these increasingly punitive algorithms that basically are feeding you what they want you to see and not as much of, you know, the stuff that you may have thought you were subscribing to follow. I wonder if it's just going to be a, a version of something like Twitter, but all it's going to do is just ram content down your throat that you don't want, which is which is a lot of what the meta experience can be. Uh, yeah, I, I really want to see somebody get into the deep dive of like how everything works. But as far as the idea of it, like, uh, you know, Tim, I'm sure you had the same experience when you signed on, but like they make signing on so monumentally simple because they have the user base. Yeah. If you're on Insta, it's basically, do you want to just use the same thing? Cool. Cool. Here you go. And you're there. And it's like, do you want to follow the same people? Cool. Here you go. Like they just make it so crazy simple. Now, if there was somebody out there who wanted to write a way for us to be able to just I migrate all of our follows from Twitter over. That would be fantastic. Uh, but somebody, somebody will, somebody will, of course. They although, will. although, well, you, the only thing about it is, is that Meta keeps, or sorry, Twitter keeps shutting down access to things, right? Yeah. So, that, like, because there were there were some tools when um, Mastodon first came along where you could you could basically comb through all the people you followed already and just magically import them mm -hmm. and then you know as you go but but uh i noticed it even broke my uh the feed i used to have a link on my my own site that just showed my tweets and i noticed on the weekend that they've killed that too so well and the other thing that uh, i don't know if you guys saw the, what twitter did earlier today one of my specialists uh read an article about it and told us about this morning was uh they've changed the maximum number of tweets you can you can scroll down on people's yeah, feeds yes yes yeah yeah. They've capped it. I think she said sixty. That as far is as far back as you can go, unless you pay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, my God, yeah. you people want to fail. Like it's just, yeah. Like I again, I get like you can only put those kinds of things in if you're in a position of strength, right? Like unless people are like desperate to use your platform, that's when you can make those kinds of decisions and be like, yeah, well, you know what, you love our platform, you got to pay for it. People don't love your platform right now. When you make those kinds of decisions, you make it really easy for them to be like, well, what's this thing over here? Like, yeah. it's, yeah. I, I'm absolutely confounded by the decision making. Yeah. But the problem is, the problem is, is that, I mean, it's going to take a lot before Twitter just crumbles into the dust, you know? Yeah. But um, who's going to like, I mean, I get it again. Like they're in the same quandary. A lot of, of users are in the same quandary. A lot of businesses, a lot of people have spent a lot of time nurturing audiences you know again like it was not overnight that we built a 30 plus thousand follower audience for my workplace that took a lot of work and strategy and and content development and 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 and, and. 
nobody yeah. wants to walk away from that. And if, you know, again, if you're somebody who's like a, an influencer and, you know, you make money off of it or whatever, or you have, you know, a real stranglehold on an audience, you don't want to give that up. Yeah. But uh, I mean, when Joe Q public who follows you or Jane Q public who follows you is like, yeah, but now I, I just keep having more and more knocks from the way that they're running this where like, I'm not sure if what I'm reading is true. And you know, the blue check marks mean nothing. And now I can't even go back and read old things that you wrote that were witty. Like, doesn't that, yeah. doesn't that run out? Doesn't that goodwill run out? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I think I requested my, uh, my Twitter feed a couple of months ago when I saw this coming just in case, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, they do. I gotta say though, one thing about, about threads coming back to that is they, they do make it awfully easy to find all your, your people. Cause you just scroll through this list of, of, like it's it's amazing and easy to find people to start following right mm-hmm. um like i you know i'm probably up to like over 50 and i've only been on it for like a couple of hours right so they do make it easy so and and you know what i like about it is it's almost like a fresh start like like you said i could have just said yeah everybody from instagram but i've been follow, i've been on instagram for a long time and there's people that i don't even know anymore that are or services over there that i would have followed at one point or whatever, but I don't have no interest in doing it now, right? So Yeah. But I gotta say the onboarding, like you said, has been has been super, super easy on this uh this platform. Yeah. But again Oh look, it's Bill Gates. <laughs> it becomes a, a tricky one too. Like, you know, I'm already looking at it and I'm like, I had sort of stopped being pretty active on Twitter just because, you know, I didn't know yeah. what to do with it anymore. I was kind of sharing some work stuff for a while, but then I migrated a lot of the stuff I was sharing there to moving to my LinkedIn profile because I knew I was getting to yeah. people who might actually use it constructively. So, yeah, like, as much as obviously threads can fill a need that, that Twitter has, like, the thing that Twitter has done better than any other social platform ever is, and I say this as somebody who worked as a journalist for 20 years, it was mm-hmm. and continues to be the single best breaking news, real-time website on the planet. It is because of the way the algorithm is written, because it is the fire hose and not the, you know, the, the carefully selected, you know, driblets of water that you get from places like Facebook and, and Instagram and, and, you know, even LinkedIn has an algorithm like that. You, mm-hmm. you get everything. So if you're interested, like, uh, you know, the example I've given when I've done some talks at, at um, you know, universities and, and stuff like that is, you know, when I was working in the newsroom, I was there working on a Saturday shift a number of years back, and uh, there was a gang shooting inside the Eaton Center. And we found out this pretty much the second it happened because one of my editors that I was working with had Twitter up on his computer, and he followed a bunch of athletes, and one of the Blue Jays was there. And he said, yeah, there's yeah. been shots fired at the Eaton Center. It's, everybody's running for the exits. And I, and I was like, Every reporter who's in this room right now, get your ass down to the to the Eaton Center. <laughs> and, you know, we were able to cover it in real time. We were able to share it in real time. Like, that is something you just, like, not no news, no news service can do that. Like, nobody can work that fast. There's no single place that works right. like that because it's publicly generated, too. Whether it's a journalist yeah. you follow, an organization, a person, everybody can contribute to the conversation on a topic just by hashtagging it, right? So if that is part of what happens with threads. Great. So far, uh, and again, it was part of the discussion I have with my team today, no hashtags on on threads. 
So that'll be interesting. Oh, really? Like how do you sort hmm. how do you sort through topics? Hmm. How do you how do you you know how do you find new users interested in the same thing you are? That that's all stuff that needs to be worked out in an iterative way. But Twitter's not going anywhere because it has that market cornered for now. The problem is it's, yeah. it's also full of fake profiles, uh, Russian hackers, and lies. And True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know the problem is is that as great as it is as a breaking news source, it's also full of bs so and toxicity and you know homophobia and racism and misogyny all the good ingredients yeah no it's it's an interesting interesting exercise i mean we'll have to see where we go with it mm-hmm. all right i think it's time for bed yeah i think harmony's falling asleep already <laughs> but you're three hours behind us Jaime. it's not it's like barely nine o'clock the uh, the heat is uh, we got a bit of a heat wave going on here and oh we got um, one of those too yeah, we do yeah so we had it first we had it three hours before you <laughs> right no no it's three hours cooler here now Tim that's true or or more humid oh bright stars on here um yeah that's good it's all good who knows who's gonna win who's gonna win that's the the I guess the big calculus right. Anyway, but until next time, we'll see you guys later. All right. Bye. Talk to you next week, guys. Bye. Later. Bye. I didn't say and scene. And scene. What the heck is the button to kill this show? What? It was the show that never ends. Yeah. I wrote a never-ending song for you. (laughs) From now on, that's all I want to do. From the first time we met, I knew I'd sing this never-ending song for you. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) Later. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.